0: Star Wars Monthly Monday number 14.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous.
2: It's only a laser sword fight.
3: Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers,
2: please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship (laughs) on!
3: Lando
2: Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian!
0: And now, together by live simulation
1: via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us.
3: Wow, that was awesome. Hi, and welcome to Two True Freaks. I hope you guys like the new opener. Um, Chris just made that one, and I think it's really cool. I, I think it's really neat. Good job on that one, Chris. Hey, thanks. Well, I am Scott Gardner,
0: and I'm Chris Honeywell. And we've got a special uh, guest, the legend, the creator, <laughs> Sean Rosado, the man who I called gay on the internet. Um, <laughs> you, you probably heard me apologize before, but now that I got Sean here, I'll just say, i you know, the only reason I, I, I said that I thought you were gay was, I swear I heard you say it, but upon... <laughs> Review of the tapes. I realized that you actually said that you weren't gay. Right. <laughs> you actually said the exact opposite. But I think part of my brain wanted somebody on the panel to be gay. So well, then we I, had somebody gay on the panel to answer the you know L, lgbt
2: right. The is, is lesbian, it, gay, bisexual, transgender. Yes. yes. Uh,
0: you know to, to answer you know as, as opposed to a, a whole panel full of straight white guys which it it actually was
2: technically i'm puerto rican so hispanic you can get that one in oh so I'm, oh I'm good not, good I'm not white i'm representing off-white. so there you go you, you had three white guys and an off-white guy so there you go. <laughs> everything was off-white that
3: night that's for sure yeah i was just gonna say we had plenty of off-white <laughs> it was white, room. it was
2: not a dress at all it was something that probably should have been cleaned up immediately afterwards because you know that stuff streaks
0: now now for those of you who haven't heard any of the past episodes where we've talked about this uh, we were on a panel with Sean at Dragon Con uh, which is like the only place we've actually met him but we had a lot of fun on it and um, it was the Star Wars adult themes so it was you know they closed off the room and it was all 18 and over and lots of swearing and um, you know by by the uh by the end of it, you'd earn the name Sean Wampagism Rosado, <laughs> right. which, yeah, um, which I guess is replacing and, – and now we can finally find out what's up with this. It's finally replacing your old AKA, which was the Ewoks Eat People guy.
2: Yeah, the Ewoks Eat People guy. Um, yeah, basically the Ewoks Eat People guy thing started from uh, my first year at Dragon Con – uh, I had been asked to sit on a panel um, kind of by just default. I was in a room while they were in between panels and the director at the time was asking if somebody could sit in on uh, a ph- I think it was a philosophy and theology panel. Um, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. It was actually finding corresponding religions and philosophies from real earth uh, mythologies in Star Wars. And so uh, I was basically sitting on a panel, all females, I'm the only guy on there, all, like nice. half these women, half these women have like PhDs these are just absolutely mad scientists crazy smart women and I'm this you know humble. yeah I'm this humble little Star Wars guy okay humble's not the right word but I'm this little Star Wars guy who has no business being on this panel but I say you know what I want to suck it up and do it and um they put me on there to actually counterpoint this other woman who once you get her started she goes on for a solid hour so they're like well Sean doesn't shut up so maybe he can actually slow her down. Cancel her out a little bit, yeah. Right. So as we were talking, um, somebody had been fielding out questions, and I got into a rhythm, and somebody had said something about Ewoks being the worst thing in the history of Star Wars. And I said, hold on to that train one second, because I need to check this guy. And I said, ladies, do you mind if I handle this? And bless all five of them that were on that panel with me. They all stopped. They said, sure, go ahead. And I said, okay, this is why Ewoks are the most awesome thing ever. And I said, you start watching Return of the Jedi, Han and Luke are down on indoor, right? They're walking around, and Chewie finds that hunk of meat, and they get caught, right? They're put on these giant sticks, and they're taken to a fire to be cooked in front of C-3PO. Now, as, <laughs> now, as children, we know that they're not going to be eaten because they're the heroes of the story. But as an adult, when I watched this a few years ago, I started realizing they're trying to cook them like we would cook a chicken. And I was yeah. like... I was like, that's kind of fucked
0: up. You'd think they'd <laughs> take his. you think they'd take his clothes off first if they're going to cook him. right. So I you said, the okay, chicken so, at least.
2: Right. So I kept watching the movie, and I was like, well, that's no big deal. And uh, so I kept watching. The Ewoks win in the end. You know, everybody's hanging out. You know, Lando Calrissian's having a big party with Cult Forty Five everywhere. And uh, here come Luke and Leia and Han, and everybody's having a good time, and they're all eating from these giant platters of meat. <laughs> <laughs> are all these stormtrooper helmets. And I go, holy crap. this Before I could even say it, the entire room kind of gasped inward at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, Ewoks eat people. And they went nuts. I mean, they went completely crazy. And I have never seen an audience react like to one of my weird harebrained theories before like this. And after that, people came up to me for the next three days at DragonCon going, you're that ewoks people guy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. And they actually asked me to make a t-shirt in order so that they could find me the following year and I forgot to make it, but um, two years later I finally brought the shirt with me I actually wore it that night when we were on the panel um, which was basically a really demonic looking version of Wicked holding a human hand that was all kind of snarled up (laughs) (laughs) and I loved it it was funny, I wore it, nobody really noticed it but my wife wore it the day before and people couldn't stop staring, they're like, that is like the most awesome shirt ever, so I think women wearing Ewoks People t-shirts just increases the awesomeness of that idea
3: (laughs) (laughs) Bravo,
2: that's an excellent story Well yeah,
0: and then they sort of Hannibal Lectured the meat off to to the rebels too They
2: did, and and the point of me bringing that up for philosophy and theology Was the fact that that could tie back to the idea that um, Aborigine country uh, are are natives and whatnot to eat their own enemies to gain their power So maybe the detox were trying to learn how to not shoot a blaster wow, that no response on that one. Damn. Um, I mean, it was stunned silence, man. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, seriously, what are you going to learn from eating a stormtrooper, right? Like, not how to hit a barn? I mean, it's not like they're too accurate, you know, by the time you get around to Jedi. Well, but.
0: maybe they're like Twinkies, you know? They're sort of like, maybe some of those stormtroopers are like fifth generation clones, so they're not quite right, you know? Maybe that's why they wear the helmets all the time because their eyes don't quite line up and stuff. Right. And they're so... All- so, you know yeah, it's like, like having
2: assholes really assholes from- processed food, you know. Yeah, they're like assholes from Spaceballs where they got the cross-eyed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's like 15,000 Stormtroopers all from like the same three parents. <laughs> that's what it
1: is. Well,
2: but so, yeah, that's how I got the name of the People. And then this past year I think it's going to be Wampagism now because I've actually been approached by people on Facebook who have found me. And they're like, you're the Wampagism dude. <laughs> like, really? They found me on Facebook? That's crazy talk. <laughs> so that, that, that's one of those I can't believe that actually happened well, but that's, yeah, so. that's what
0: I love about the nerd world is like you know in regular people world it's like hey look there goes that guy who skateboarded into the moving van at 50 miles an hour dude and <laughs> right. the nerds get all excited about like concepts it's like hey there's the Ewok see people guy the Wampa just you know <laughs> yeah. you're, known for, you're known for one of your actual uh, now they're not maybe the most highest tier of intellectual concepts right that, but that's what the masses always grab onto you know you oh, could have put out 50 pearls of like confucius style wisdom at that panel and they're gonna walk away with it with ewoksy people
2: right i forgot to tell you the best part of this story and it, it completely slipped my mind which is the fact that the la uh, the one of the people on the panel actually worked for lucasfilm and she was their visual um Ooh. species writer and she said i have never heard that I'm actually going to put it in the next uh, Star Wars update that Ewoks eat people, and that I'm going to give you credit for it. I'm like, are you serious? So whenever they do one of those alien species guides again, they're going to actually put that Ewoks have been known to yes. eat people.
0: Yes. So now you are a creator of Star Wars canon. How there awesome you go. Is this, right. You're. You're. The, <laughs> this is the second Star Wars Monthly Monday in a row that we've had a Star Wars canon person on. Oh my what, God. What? We're just get. We're becoming so.
1: <laughs> relevant (laughs) yeah exactly
2: (laughs) yeah so that that's pretty much the ewoks eat people story excellent
0: (laughs) well i uh, i i've noticed a sort of trend in in your work now that i've heard the ewoks eat people story because before the podcast we're going to do a little more pimping now by the way um we were talking about um vealblog.com right which is which uh, maybe, you sh- maybe you should explain that. But, you know, it sort of ties in with the um, with the people-eating
2: concept. Or at least yeah, in a weird way, it kind of does, doesn't it? About,
0: <laughs> about sentient beings being eaten anyway.
2: Yeah, um, the Veal blog is actually uh, 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 a blog that I'm keeping up right now because I'm creating a webcomic that's actually going to be called Veal. And uh, the basic concept behind it Uh, came from an idea of what would happen if you ran across something that you ate or or eat on a daily basis and it talked to you. Like, a cow came up to you and was just like, yo, what's up? Um, But I turned it on its ear and I said, okay, what if there were Roswell aliens? And the Roswell aliens were actually coming to Earth to find appropriate meat product because they owned a McDonald's-like food chain. And they basically kidnapped humans in order to clone them to make a vast army of cows that were dumbed down and made stupid dumb in order for them to then be processed and, and ripped apart and made into, you know, basically the world or the universe's most uh, delectable foodstuff. Big
0: Mac style, the space exactly. Big Mac. Exactly. Now, are these like half human? Are these just cows that have sort of been crossed with a little bit of human in them? Or... Well, I
2: use the term cow in the, the comic, similar to how sometimes, uh, like if you've watched Star Trek and whatnot, they'll tell you that, this word means something in Klingon, but it's not a direct yes. translation. So basically, um, basically
0: they're people that are just sort of referred to as cow because that's sort of like food.
2: <laughs> exactly. They're, they're referred to I cow like to it. <laughs> so they're actually referred to as human cows. And um, the human cows look like humans. They they act like humans in the fact that they walk upright and whatnot. But they're very, very, very dumb. They're basically as smart as dogs. And the story is that one of these. Holy um,
3: shit, they're my neighbors.
2: Right, you know. Oh, I got it now. Okay. And what happens is that one of them has a genetic offshoot. They basically shoot back to how we are. They're very intelligent. They can pick up things on the fly. They know how to use tools. And he figures out that he's going to be slaughtered, and he escapes. And so he's running around this alien planet trying to find a way off of it. And when people ask him his name, the only thing he knows is what's written on the piece of clothing that he's wearing, which says Veal, because that was the type of meat they were going to make him for. So he refers to himself as the meat type that he was going to be processed as. Nice.
0: I like this.
2: Right. So VealBlog.com is actually me chronicling the design of the aliens, what the homeworlds are going to look like. Basically, it's the work in process leading up to my spring debut of the actual comic. And so people can go there. It's vealblog.com. I think you mentioned that. And uh, they can just basically read up on it. Um, it's a simple uh, WordPress blog document, and I put some artwork up there for people to enjoy. And you can make comments and let me know your thoughts. I always like to get feedback. I'm I'm a, I'm a whore for approval and also disapproval. So feel free to share whatever you think, and, and I will be more than happy to listen to it.
0: I have one word for you, man. Pixar.
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I want to see a
0: computer animation of this.
2: <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't
0: it? Three <laughs> D. It'll all be three D by by the time this yeah, that I wanna see that. It's about we need we need an adult themed cartoons. Yeah, some more adult themed cartoons.
3: But I, I just wanna I, I want clarification on one point. These are oh. a special breed of humans that are especially stupid or these are like regular like <laughs> say like Alabama humans oh. that are especially stupid?
2: I can't get too far into it without giving away some plot points that's going to come okay. up. No, no, no. But I can tell you the basic idea, which is that the, 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 the Greys came to our planet for hundreds of years.
0: Oh, wait. That's <laughs> why they always – that's why they always take Bubba.
2: Yeah, right. They're always taking people. What's happening <laughs> is that the reason why they keep taking <laughs> people was... and taking them back is they're trying to find the perfect meat source. They're trying to find the person who has the perfect fat to muscle ratio. <laughs> And so what they're doing is they're taking people and they're probing them and they're doing all these horrible things because they're basically trying to figure out, you know, how would this guy taste? Right. And once they find their genetic line, what they do is they kidnap that person, they take a, a, a piece of their genetic line, and then they make an entire clone, uh, not necessarily a clone, but they basically make embryos, and they create humans based off of that. But in that process, they make sure that our IQs are severely reduced. So it's almost like uh, uh, genetics, you know, not not genetics, I'm sorry, let me think of the right word, eugenics. Yes. Except we're doing it in reverse. Yeah, reverse eugenics. It's reverse eugenics. They're trying to make us stupider in yeah. order for us to be more controlled. But so then, this
0: is a parable for America. I think this is actually
1: <laughs> happening right
2: now. Right. But so, like, there's some interesting things I put into it, like the fact that during the, 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 the veal blog, you're going to notice things like the, all the humans inside of what I call um, uh, 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 the, the the cattle ranges. Um, actually, wear clothes. They wear stuff that looks almost like a prison jumper. And the reason why is that the aliens, when the Greys first took them, they're like, oh, well, we don't need to give them clothes. They're just stupid cows. But then the humans started tearing apart all their surroundings, grass and leaves, and, and basically all this stuff that they put millions of uh, of credits into in order to make, they were ripping it apart to try to cover themselves up because for some reason, they feel the need to hide their their their, their pride, so to speak. So there are things like they have to wear clothes, but yet they don't have any hair on them because the grays can't stand hair. And they love to skin humans before they debone them because they think that skin's a delicacy. So it's like imagine you go to a restaurant, you order a side of human, but then you want a salad of skin on the side. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you, won't, you want blue skin. So there are blue humans out there. Or let's say you want... You know, yellow skin, so they're yellow humans. and Or you all you know, brown skin, so you got brown and beige. I mean, you you name a color, there's a genetic line of them out there that the greys have made to suit a certain audience. So it's just this really disturbing concept that when I decided to do this, I said the first, like, six or seven pages of this comic is just humans getting slaughtered. They're basically just going through these horrible machines that I'm coming up with. And what I... It's funny. I'm actually watching these uh uh PETA... Um, anti uh, 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 slaughter commercials uh-huh. and, and ads, and I'm looking at the machines like, okay, that's a good one. And, <laughs> a good one. And, then, and then when I'm done, I go and I make a burger and I eat because it gets me hungry because I love meat. But yeah. I mean, one of these things, it, it's basically a pita ad, but I didn't mean for it to be. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how people take to it because it's supposed to be a relatively funny idea. But those first six oh, or seven, man. Pages, are you gonna do foie gras? Are there gonna be some some bra going on? I'm sure there will be. Basically, it's supposed to be an analog for all that weird sadistic stuff we do to animals, somebody's doing to us out there.
0: Yeah, are, are there going to be any gray versions? I don't want to, like, you can always say, you know, I, I cannot reveal this, but could there be right. a gray version of PETA, or you know, like the Animal Liberation Front, or anything like that?
2: Well, the, one of the main storylines that's going on is that the the world that Veal is on is similar to Coruscant, since we're talking about Star Wars today. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically a world where a lot of people are on there, and the line has actually not gone public yet He's actually at a reservation Where they're bringing in investors to say This is going to be the next line of food that we're bringing up Down uh, up the line in like 10 or 20 years And we want you to invest on it So when he breaks out he's on a planet Where there are a lot of sentient life forms And one of the cardinal rules for this particular Federation of planets or alliance of planets Choose the analogy as you would Is that you can't hurt other sentient Life forms so the whole Purpose of the human cow and them being Dumb is so that people don't know that that they're they're intelligent creatures so the greys really freak out when he escapes because if it gets out that not only is he intelligent but they started from an intelligent line of people in a planet that they can find the greys can get into a lot of trouble so there's this whole subplot about the greys trying to stop them from ever finding out because if it happens then you know they can get into a lot of legal issues
0: god could you imagine how many people PETA would kill to get their hands on a talking cow or a talking chicken Mm -hmm. Do, you, get, do I know. you know how many people I would kill to get my hands on a talking chicken?
2: <laughs> it's funny that you say that because, you, you know, one of the things I thought of is, if I ever found a talking cow, what would I do? And I was like, I'd take it on Letterman. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So in the comic, eventually, Veal does make it to the equivalent of the Letterman show. Oh. So, like, they actually take him on national TV, and they're like, you know, ask him a question. He'll respond. And, and I'm like, just how degrading can you make this experience for this guy? So there's all kinds of stuff like that coming up. It's it's supposed to be a sublimely but dark, funny, um, uh, but strangely serious comic. And I've written out maybe 20 pages of it so far. And uh, the plan is is that I'm not gonna even release the first comic until I have 50 completed pages. So that way I'm always ahead of that curve because I hate going to a web comic and getting into it, and then the guy just stops and because... it's done, yeah. And, and he's just working on any
3: that. I hate any comics that do that. Well, pod- can, yeah. that happens with
0: podcasts, too.
2: Yeah, I hate those kind of delays. So my idea is if I can get far enough ahead of the curve, then I can at least get the first act of the story done, you know, and people can read it in a fairly regular basis without them, you know, reading, you know, like two months' worth, and then it just stops because that just bugs the living shit out of me.
0: Well, the thing yeah. with creative things like like this or like a comic book or something like that is once you get started if you get feedback and i don't even care if it's good or bad but if you have people commenting on it and talking about it it really encourages you to keep it going you know so that's a lot of what's i mean if if we if we did if we didn't have people who you know had written to us from our podcast or that had listened to us and written to we would have never made it this long we would have, after a while we would have been like why are we putting so much work into this you know if if nobody cares so right. so if 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 you get people paying attention it'll make it a lot easier to to keep producing
3: i think so well, listeners worry about that too about us putting out too much or about getting burned out cuz uh, here lately i've i've heard that comment several times from from different listeners of the show of you know don't get burned out or don't you know i think they worry that maybe that we're maybe we're pure whatever and i, I just want to assure them that for, from my angle i'm having the fucking time of my life man i've i've never had more fun than than where, what i'm having right now with doing this show so i i'm not going anywhere
2: <laughs> right yeah I, I absolutely see the the complete benefit of doing a podcast versus trying to do what i'm doing because i'm like you know I, I love that you guys can say you know what something happened last week and i could be very topical about it you know But with me, the stuff I'm coming up with now, you won't see until six and a half, seven months from now. Right. And then the stuff I come up six and a half, seven months from now, you won't see until this time next year. You know, so it's like this huge, you know, just delay in all of my thoughts. And I start thinking, well, am I being too topical? At one point, I was actually going to try to find a way to work Michael Jackson into the podcast. And I actually leaned away from that because I thought it might piss people off. But now I'm thinking about putting them back in. (laughs) So I don't know you never could tell you know but yeah, i,
0: I uh, think you i think in general you can't lose with michael jackson because everybody he's polarizing so you know just the fact that michael jackson is dead is on some le- level entertaining to everybody to the even to the people who think it's a great tragedy and and worshipped right. him and even to the people who go wait a minute wasn't he a child molester also right i heard that mentioned really and in the, well, you, I guess you don't speak ill of the dead At least he's been on South Park since he died That's at least sort of That's a rite of passage I guess now I can only hope that when I die You get on South Park? That South Park <laughs> scathes at me
2: in some way That would actually be awesome Yeah, it would be <laughs> That would be great <laughs> now how do we tie that back to star Wars? that's so what that, i was wondering yeah i was just gonna say that uh yeah, we, we went off on a tangent i'm sorry i know it it's no, no, a bit no, on our show
3: uh, it's <laughs> fine. We're, we're all about the tangents but i was just thinking that very thing that oh i look forward to to the star wars episode so much when it comes around only once a month and here we are talking about south park and michael Wait, jackson i got it, so I, got it I got it
2: back. but if we have to tie directly back into star wars via south park we could always say Darth chef <laughs> oh, yeah. So there you go. See? And the little lightsaber spatula. There you go. Dude, oh, that'd be an awesome right. freaking Can you imagine Count Dooku with, like, a freaking lightsaber spatula? <laughs> well, he's got to was... make his pancakes somehow, you know? Right? I mean, dude's that crusty. He's got to have some joy in his life, right? I mean, that'd be sweet. You just pour the batter onto the spatula, and it just makes a perfectly awesome pancake, right, and then he just flips it off, and it's done. I do not
0: make pancakes. I only make crepes. My-
2: I always my- thought Count Dooku's...
3: The The hilt of his lightsaber, I could actually see, like, a light golf club coming out of it just by the shape so of that awesome. <laughs> well,
2: I don't know if you guys have ever talked about this, but do you know why they made that lightsaber curved?
3: It was for
0: fighting. It was made for yeah. specifically for fighting, whereas a lightsaber is sort of for the Jedi is like your Swiss Army knife. Right. His was made for killing people for specifically yeah, it was for fighting with other lightsabers. Yeah.
2: yeah, it was for dueling and whatnot. Cuz apparently, I, I remember reading somewhere he could spin it a lot easier than other Jedi could. It was it was ergonomic to his hand so he could do a lot of really interesting tricks with it. Yeah, it was yeah, it was
0: uh, it, it had that it had that bend in it that was yeah. that gives it a little extra, I guess, forward motion to it or yeah, ergo, its ergonomics. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I you see, that and that's was... why people and that's why when the people are just like, well, you know, uh, the, you know, that prequel is pretty thin on story and and all that and it's and it's so untrue. There's so much packed into every frame of that that you could
2: spend a long time breaking it apart.
0: Oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I liked about those. I mean, my defense, because I'm what they call an apologist for the prequels, I don't consider it apologizing. I consider it rationalizing. They call, um, they,
0: they, they call us those names, too.
2: Yeah, you know, but I, whenever I looked at the prequels, I always kind of tell people the biggest reason why I feel you get a different vibe from the prequels than you do from the original is that the original is about these people who are desperate and hopeless and they're fighting the man. Yeah. And... The prequels are all about how the man fell out of power and the bad man got into it. So it's not about people coming together. It's about people falling apart. And as George Lucas wanted to avoid that topic, you know, that's what it's about. I mean, he tried to make the first two prequels happy in some way. I mean, basically in episode one, you get happy because Qui-Gon died and they made uh, Anakin a, 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 a Padawan and they have a parade at the end. But it's a fairly depressing movie. And then episode two, same thing. Shmi dies. You know, Clone Wars star, Anakin loses his arm. But, oh, they got married at the end, so yay, they're going to have some there's, sex.
0: There's, yeah, there's, and then there's <laughs> the, the frothy romance story. Right, you the... know, and then,
2: of course, Episode 3, there's nothing happy in that movie, man. Everybody's getting a shit kicked out of them. Yeah.
1: Well,
0: uh, what's funny is...
2: Still... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. sorry. I was going to say, my wife, she still cries every single time she watches Episode 3 when all the Jedi start getting wiped out. She's just like, those clones, man, they trusted the clones, and the clones fucked them. They fucked them hard. And... and and my... see,
0: how can you say it's a bad movie when it can get that kind of emotional reaction from somebody,
2: you know? It's all about perspective, I guess. I guess some people, they just felt that they wanted it to be more what they thought their Star Wars yeah. was. But I actually have a story for you guys, and I know I'm about to go on another tangent, but this is actually pretty interesting. Um, is the fact that my friend, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Bill has three daughters that he has adopted over the years. And because of their circumstances in uh, life, excuse me, their circumstances in life, they never had a chance to actually enjoy things like you know TV and whatnot until he adopted them. So they had heard about Star Wars and they knew the concept of who Darth Vader was, but they had no idea about the actual story. So I asked them. I was like, "Look, they're curious about seeing Episode Three because this was back in around 2005 or so." I said, "Show them just the first two movies. Show them Episode One and Episode Two, and then take them." to go see Episode 3 oh. and see what they do. So they watched Episode 1 and 2, and they loved it, and then they went to see Episode 3. And those girls were freaked out so much by the fact that Anakin turned into Darth Vader, this big bad guy who's in the last three movies. To this day, they still refuse to watch the last three because they got so freaked out. Wow.
0: And I was like, really? I can see that. I was getting freaked out at the end of I was at the yeah. end of episode 3, I was going, "Don't do it, man. Don't do it. No. Don't do it." No, and no, I was no. thinking to myself, "He still has time to go back. He still has time yeah. to go back." And that says something because I'm a I'm I'm I was trained to just tear films apart. Right. And and this is a Star Wars prequel, and I know what the outcome is. I've known for, you know, most of my really? life what the outcome of this is. And I'm still like getting torn up about it watching it on screen and I was thinking, you know, say what you will about George Lucas, but man, you know, that's that's something to pull off and, and he used the and he used those first two movies to build up into that third to movie. To make you think
2: it was going left and then it goes right. And I think that's why once the kids who grew up on it the way we did back in the late seventies and the early eighties become adults, I think the prequels will probably get a much different rap. Yeah, oh than yeah. What they-
0: no. Well, and that's that, the thing that, is that, our ge- our generation is going to be tough on it, but the gen- but the younger generation isn't is just going to look at it as the Star Wars movies, just as we looked right. at the first three Star Wars movies as the Star Wars movies. They're not really even going to question it because when you see it as a kid, it's just a whole different thing. You know, when you watch a movie like Star Wars or something with a kid, and the, the things that they notice that crack them up or that they remember, especially a really young kid that they remember and are like, that is the most amazing thing they've ever seen. You can, it's, it's so almost impossible to predict, you know what it's good. I can't remember who it was. We were talking to someone or maybe it was even you. there was somebody who said, you know, they were, or I was reading it or they said that, you know, the most moment that stuck in their head about star Wars was when Chewie, growled at the mouse robot and it ran and it ran away that right. was a scene that like cracked them up the most and was just like the scene that like they wanted to see over and over and over again you know when they were five or six years old
3: i think that's what a bibliomike mike a Biblio posted mike? up on the forum yeah, yeah.
0: it was somebody who to... went in
2: depth yeah you know what actually is my favorite scene out of all the star wars movies is when they're actually trying to escape from the star destroyer and empire strikes back And Chewie's working on the ship, and Han, uh, not Han, uh, uh, but Lando actually gets on the mic, and he's basically yelling for Chewie to to hurry the hell up. And Chewie just gets so mad, he just screams, and he just rams the Hydra Spanner in the middle of the freaking engine. I don't know why. Every time I see that, I cry laughing. It it, it just cracks me up, man. It's just that freaking growl of, I'm working on it, dickhead. Get off my back. (laughs) If I could make that noise every single time somebody says, Sean, we got a deadline coming up, and I could make that little wookie growl, I would totally do it. Well, I think one of the problems that the, the the fan community has in general is the fact that people like to bandwagon a lot. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, the loudest people are usually the biggest detractors. That sucked because of X, Y, and Z. And instead yeah. of people really weighing it on their own, they just agree with it immediately without it knowing why. Yeah. They never go back, to really sit down and think about it. Where me, I make up my mind after I finish watching the movie. I don't make the decision before I walk in. I don't say, oh, this is going to suck walking in. And if I like the movie, i don't over-apologize. I never backtrack on my uh, liking of a movie unless I sincerely watch it and I just don't enjoy it the next time. Uh-huh. Uh, an example of that is the Matrix movies. I love all three Matrix movies, but those movies get railed all the time. Uh, I could rail on them.
0: At <laughs> some, some point.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I like to talk about the philosophy behind it and a lot of the religious overtones in it and uh-huh. whatnot. But there's a lot of interesting things about that movie, but... For so many people, they just say, "Oh well, I just knew it," and they, and they all start saying the exact same things, and it almost becomes like they're all clones of each other. Like yeah. I hated during episode one, it was like, "Oh, well, Jar Jar sucks." I kind of like Jar Jar. I thought Jar Jar was funny. Amen, man. Amen. <laughs> you know?
0: I was I was the same way. I was just like, "What? You guys don't understand why he put Jar Jar in there?" I was a little annoyed the first time I saw a cl- the clip where they first meet Jar Jar. They're first talking to him <clears throat> because my first thought was. Why is he talking like Roger Rabbit? Because he was even doing the little right. sort of things, and that sort of annoyed me. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm because up to that point I had seen the trailers for it, which were dead serious and like yeah. and spectacular. You know, they. I mean that every time I watched that Star Wars trailer that they pull out, that brilliant piece of marketing that they did on Episode One. Oh yeah, I, Dark know, my blood, blood was pumping. I was just like, "Oh my god, this is gore, you know, this is more than I could have ever imagined for Star Wars." You know, it's this epic. And and of course, the movie was a lot lighter and frothier than the than the trailer let on. But at, once I once I realized that in the movie theater, I shifted gears. I said, "Oh, okay. Yeah. This is this is this, you know. Oh, okay, he's doing this, you know." And that, right. that sort of stuff, I'm perverse where I love that sort of thing. I love when someone tosses a curveball or where a sequel takes off in a different direction like Aliens is, yeah. is awesome too. And, I mean, you can only do so much of that with Star Wars.
2: Uh, I was going to say, I think probably George Lucas's weakest point in his entire career is the fact that because he's been given so much money and so much power – He doesn't know when to take a step back and let other creative minds in on the collaborative process. You know, he gets with the greatest artists in the world. They create these fantastic visuals, and it blows you away. But then I think he sometimes needs to sit down with somebody like an English coach and and maybe even a a co-director or somebody to really help him rein in some of his eccentricities that other people may not be.
0: When I was watching episode one, I actually thought to myself, I could have helped him. (laughs) I was <laughs> he, look at, hearing the dialogue And I remember being somewhere where I was Flipping through like the illustrated screenplay Of it and I was reading it and I'm like I seriously could have sat down and really fixed A lot of this dialogue You know right. I mean it's like oh I could have Taken you could take this out because that Was said 10 minutes ago You know right. or you could Just change the phrasing or say Well you know I don't know if yippee is the best Choice of what a little Kid would say
2: Yeah You know, but all that, even considering all of the things that I find as false in what he did, I still love those movies. I get a kick out of every time I watch them. I feel like I'm I'm eight years old again. Yep. You know, and I know it doesn't happen for a lot of people, but I'm so happy that it happens for me because instead of having three movies, I have six movies, which I truly love.
0: Yeah, how could you not like that? Because, yeah, you get to, you know, if you can can sit there and and watch something and be like, oh, my God, I'm eight years old, I'm nine years old again, you know... whatever, you, you can tear it down as much as possible, but the fact is, yeah. it's not easy to be eight or nine years old again. Well, I don't know, and it, it, to some degree I always am, you know, and I'm always... Right. I, I try not to be, like, pubescent, but there's pubescent times and stuff like that, but that, that and that was, yeah, I realized that episode one, okay, I have to look at this from the point of view of an 8 year old from a kid about Anakin's age I have to you you just envision all those three movies from somebody who's Anakin's age and it takes you into darkness
2: I know (laughs) it's It's crazy so I'm just
0: saying if there's anybody from Dragon Con listening right now you can get all this in the (laughs) the Star Wars episode Star Wars prequel apologist panel that, that Mr. Sean Rosato is going to spearhead
2: yeah I'm going to try to get it to put on there um, my wife and I did one a few years ago and it was just called the, it was, uh, I think it was called like Just the Facts or something and it was all about the prequels but I want to call this one Star Wars Apologists and it's just going to be about let people sit in a room and just throw their most hatred in, in, or, or most this? venomous hatred they can and yeah and let us try to rebut as best as possible because how, how I think this? sometimes
0: ask yes. the apologists
2: Ask the apologists. You know what? I'm totally okay with ask the apologists. (laughs) You know, I think it's a fun idea, you know. Um, And my wife, she loves Star Wars. In fact, I remember when Episode One came out, one thing we did is that we used to go to Walmart because we were so dirt poor when I was in art school that uh, uh, we would go to Walmart on Sundays, and our Sunday afternoon kind of brunch thing to do would go through the toy house and look at all the awesome Episode One toys. And we could never buy them because they were so expensive and we needed things like, you know, food. Um, But it was... (laughs) so awesome to look at and ironically about two years ago my cousin who has collected everything from 1977 to the present it seems like when it comes to like those uh, three and a quarter figures uh, or three and three quarter figures he actually had a bunch of old episode one stuff he couldn't unload and he sent me like three boxes full so i actually have almost a full run of like episode one toys that i wanted that i they're still in their box and i know nobody else wants them but i'm so happy about them i just look at them and go Ah, and I remember back, you know, being in art school and feeling like eight years old and all of that. And it's such an awesome experience. So for my money, you can't get any better.
0: I agree. Well, I say on that note, we go to a break and we come back with Clone Wars. Sweet. Which is all in that that prequel world. Star Wars: The Clone Wars. A winding path to peace is always a worthy one, regardless of how many turns it takes.
3: Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan Kenobi attempt to capture Count Dooku. During the pursuit, both Dooku and our heroes are forced to crash land. Dooku is taken captive by pirates, and after a series of misadventures, Skywalker and Kenobi are dispatched to the less-than-trustworthy Pirate's Lair to confirm they actually have captured the Count as part of a ransom negotiation for the Supreme Chancellor. All right, so how do we want to go into this one?
2: Um, well, uh, I guess the better question is... uh... How do we want to stay away from the fact that it's basically an entire episode about them negotiating with Dooku, but the entire time the pirates want to basically booze them up? Like, you ever notice that Anakin and Obi Wan are always like one of like the party plans?
3: This is true. This, yeah, that's very true. Well, I think the music in this one too. I noticed that the music playing in the pirates' lair—I'd swear it's the same music that's playing in uh in Zero the Hut's place there in the Clone Wars movie. I could be wrong, but it sure sounded the same, or it sounded similar anyway.
2: Don't get me started on Zero the Hut, man. You know my love for Zero the Hut. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I really enjoyed this one a lot. I, I thought it had some really uh, some really nice touches in it. I really like the way <laughs> it starts with uh, with Obi-Wan, you know, the spacesuited Obi-Wan going yes. over to the Separatist ship to rescue... Right. Uh,
0: That's my first you know? first notice, spacesuit with an exclamation mark.
3: Yeah, it reminded me of, like, Buck Rogers. It was, like, very Buck Rogers-ish because he had the big bubble helmet and all that. I, I thought that was really cool. Well,
2: yeah. it's always when they do those little kickbacks to the 50s and whatnot and the 60s where, you know, because that's where a lot of Lucas got his ideas from. So whenever you see that on, on the screen, I love seeing that kind of stuff. Um, like, uh, what is it, Padme's little silver gun that she always carries around just looks so retro. As yes. Well. So I'm I'm with you on that.
3: Well, there's a there's another one in this episode that's that's another one of my notes. But uh, speaking of of Obi Wan going into airlocks, all right, this is at, at least the second episode where I've noticed that one of our heroes will go over to an enemy ship and just open an airlock and yeah, just waltz step right in. in. And it's like you've got to be kidding! Me. Is there not an alarm somewhere? There's there's got to be an alarm panel somewhere. That says airlock open. You know, I mean, my car tells me when the door is open. Yeah, you can't tell been... me a spaceship's not going to tell you when the door is open.
2: Especially when it's something so critical like, you know, you could be exposed to the vacuum of space. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's, pretty, that's pretty crucial. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. But, you know. Airlock is a jar.
2: <laughs> airlock is a jar. But, you know, and this is the apologist coming out in me, maybe the separatists felt that that was not a very strong feature considering that 95% of the people on board are robots.
1: And, uh, that's and a
2: idiot
0: good... robots at the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: moron robots.
3: <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's no prize worthy right there. That's, that's a pretty good one, but yeah. It's ah uh, yeah it's just that's the second at least the second time I've seen it in this series and it just it just I don't makes think
0: p- about it too wait. much because it slows down the
2: story. <laughs> but really, at the very least, Obi Wan has to put in like his pen number or something, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he annoying. Yeah. Uh, he's like, "Let me put in my you know forty two oh eight or something." You know.
3: Well, see, that was actually more my point. Is that you know you you brought up the great point of. You know, gee, you know, he could open the door and everybody gets blown out into space. That's a, that's actually a great point. I was actually coming at it more of the the, the security side of it. Yeah. Is that, Jesus, I mean, you, you literally can just walk right over and go right into the enemy ship. And like you say, you don't have to put in a, a pin number or, or swipe a card or anything. You can just walk right in.
0: Oh, well, they, they never thought of spacesuits.
2: Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> well I don't know. Could it have been something? And this is me really hypoth- uh, hypothetically, uh, whatever the hell that word would be, um, <laughs> hypothesizing. Maybe the the we're skipping the parts, or or they're not showing us the parts where the Republic has gotten all the command codes for the separatist ships, or something, and they can nah. kind of board. Okay, I could buy
3: that. Oh, you're you're just Mr. No Prize tonight. No, no, I I could buy that. I could totally buy that.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that if you get me and Scott on that apologist panel, we'll be able to we'll be able to answer any question, man, cuz I'm pretty I'm I'm usually the one that's coming up with the with the rationales for everything and uh right. Yeah, we we could be like a powerful force to reckon with.
2: Dude, that would be an awesome episode if they got like one of the less known Jedi, like Luminara Unduli or Barris Ophi or something. Well, Barris Ophi just had, recently had an episode, but um, make her like have to go in, like spy all super stuff, like, and actually steal codes. And then we could retcon that. Oh, Ah. That'd be a nice episode. That'd be nice. See, I'll come to
3: think of it with all the, the, the tons and tons of Star Wars comics that are out there now, that it that, that may actually that. be yeah. a story out there somewhere or yeah. you know, a story that could be done if it hasn't been done
2: already. Yeah, I mean
0: I mean at this point it's it's one of those uh, it's a classic Star Wars or Lucas E. Spielberg beginning where it's like, let's start you know, you don't even know have to know how Anakin got captured by Dooku. Right. You know, it's just starting off right in the middle of the act in the story in the action right in the thick of it. And you have to figure it out as so you don't want to take the time to show Obi-Wan punching in the code when he goes in the airlock. Right. So, yeah. So maybe he did punch it in. They just he did it off camera or something. Well,
2: that mm-hmm. doesn't bring up an interesting point is the fact that you think the Jedi would after like the fourth or fifth time Anakin gets kidnapped or captured that they would actually put him in some kind of seminar to get trained on how not to have that happen.
0: Well, I think well, they yeah. did it on purpose in this one. Yeah, I think I think it was like let's get a guy on the inside. Although it really doesn't, I, although really it doesn't accomplish anything because they could have both just come in on a... basically that it just gets Obi Wan and Anakin together. And why didn't why did they have him captured? Why didn't they just both take spacesuits over it and, and yeah, get I, Dooku? I,
3: actually, I thought of that while I watched this episode again today before this show.
2: It's it not is. a that, very that's...
0: elegant Jedi move.
3: Yeah,
2: know, that did yeah, occur that, that, to me yeah, this yeah, time, time the around. The best elegant Jedi to begin with, so maybe it's just True. a in this. Oh, I'll get captured. That'll work. Yeah, maybe <laughs> they figured he'd get some information
0: while he was there. You know, it'd be better to have a guy on the... Maybe he, they had to have him on the... Maybe he was on the inside and somehow tricked a robot into giving him the codes, which he right. somehow maybe. communicated to Obi-Wan. He
2: yeah. used it telepathically tell him mm-hmm. six forward slash F. <laughs> they gave him all the codes. So yeah, I, that could be it. He could have gone on so he could have gotten the codes to then give the Obi-Wan so Obi-Wan could sneak on. See, I, I bet you,
0: liked- you could just go onto the internet and get those codes.
2: <laughs> the right
0: places to go. <laughs> Dude, I got him off the internet. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> Encryption. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Another thing I really liked in this one was, uh, We get to see them use their lightsabers as torches when they're in the cave, and I love that. I have wanted to see a scene like that ever since Splinter the Mind's Eye, you know, when when Luke and Leia spent, what was it? It was like days getting across that underground lake or whatever. Right, right. And I'm pretty sure that there were scenes in that book at least there's scenes in my mind's eye, you know, reading yeah. that that book as yeah, I imagine it. His right he was no losing noise, his lightsaber, sure. like a torch, and yeah. I, I loved that scene in this where. And we get know, to
0: see a malfunctioning lightsaber, which is exactly like a neon light, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of flickering,
1: you
2: know. <laughs> yes. Well, that was something that always kind of bugged me, and it was very uh, uh, wishy-washy in the prequels itself, or in, in Star Wars in general, is the fact that. You know, depending on who you ask and what episode or what movie you're watching, either lightsabers do emit light past their own particle beam or they don't. Like, in episode two, they glow in the dark. You know, you can actually, they actually cast light on people. But, like, in other situations, they don't cast light at all. Like, in Empire, when Vader has the the lightsaber, like, one inch from Luke's face, we don't get a big red glow from it. You know, so true. I do like the fact that the, the, the Clone Wars are trying to make it more consistent where they're saying, yes, this is a light source. It generates light. And I like right. that. Because it, would, it makes sense that it would.
1: Yeah. If it
2: glows
0: yeah. if if you can see it it's got to right. be shooting particles off it of light,
2: you know. Right, I'm right there with you.
3: Now what did you think I, I loved there was a, a real quick shot a real quick moment where the quayans go to their own planet and they take the little shuttlecraft down to the planet but the spaceship that pulls up and drops them off is a classic 1950s saucer.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Right or out with, of, with the uh, sound effects of a saucer too. Yeah. It's, I didn't see
3: that. No. It's even got the light that comes out of the bottom and I'm trying to remember what movie that is.
0: It's a, little, a, f- it's a little like Forbidden Planet.
3: Forbidden, yeah. yeah. I, well, no, Forbidden, is that it?
0: Forbidden Planet had had the well, light, light beam that came out of the center of the saucer when they were landing, almost like a little cushion.
3: What's the one that we see a clip of in E.T. when he's flipping channels? And the, and oh. the couple are in an airplane, and they get sucked up into the plane. That, and I is, think, that is this uh, island earth. This island earth, that's, yeah, that's it. I that's think it. that's the one. Yeah, those, when I saw that you, clip, that's what it reminded me of.
2: With those crazy aliens, man. I remember those guys. Those were awesome. This and then,
3: island. They had the big... The big brain-looking alien guy with lobster yeah. claws, and he had pants on. I, I know, keep... I, I know. I'm trying to think. So of, I know
0: the name of that that creature, and I, it's just at the tip of my tongue, and I can't. Is it like it. a gore or
2: something, or something like that? Some, like
0: a something like that, and yeah, cause that was a movie when when um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 actually did a theatrical movie. Theatrical, that was a yeah. movie they did. Like, so yeah. I remember. So I saw it actually on a, in a theater. Not you know, relatively not too long ago. It's a '50s movie, so. Yeah. But um, yeah, that it's... that I loved, I loved that part, and it was, and it's very like, you you can tell those tributes because they stick out in Star Wars. A, a, a yes. A blue glowing UFO going woo woo, woo Just doesn't. It, it feels Star Wars now that it's in Star Wars, but it's just like, whoa, what's this? You know, it's a it's right. a it's a UFO with spinning parts in the center and
3: stuff. I love that. I I hope they continue to do that kind of stuff because, to my knowledge, I was the only geek in the audience that caught the 2001 A Space Odyssey reference in uh, episode three. I caught it when I saw
0: it because it was. Oh, yeah. I'm.
3: Yeah, I'm sure you like you and I would catch that, but I, I didn't hear anybody else react to it. And when it came up in the screen when I saw it for the first time, I flipped. I was like, oh, that's right out of 2001. 2001. And yeah. it's like people are looking like, what the hell is he talking about? But I hope they continue to that throw was, that stuff in there. That was what? actually
0: the first Star Wars spacesuit right there in the movie, in, in visual Star Wars, not in comic Star Wars. And right. I think actually I'm going to name this episode the Star Wars spacesuit issue.
3: Yeah, really, <laughs> because
0: we got it in the in the Clone Wars and in the upcoming comics. There's some spacesuit. Oh, you're right. Going on, so there's right. always been some little tying thread lately to uh, all these shows we've been doing, just out of pure pure what? luck. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and you know, it, uh, another thing that I sort of groaned at at first about this episode, but then was actually cool because it was actually a cool thing was uh, the Gundark.
1: Yeah, because I was just was, like,
0: "Oh, does it have to be a you know?" Somebody mentioned a Gundark in the past, so now we're going to see a Gundark. But the Gundark was pretty, pretty neat. <laughs>
3: he was my nitpick of the episode. I have to be honest, because oh,
0: do you have to be? What yes. be
3: honest? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a it's a rhetorical question.
3: <laughs> well, it's it's just that. I'm, now I could be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure <laughs> that you're right <laughs> that during the course of the Marvel Comics series, I remember this this one adventure with uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's it's Leia and threepio and threepio goes up on top of this like tree or a tall plant or something and he makes himself a target for these creatures that have these long like serpentine tongues. And as they both shoot their tongues out to try to capture him, Leia, I'm pretty sure it's Leia that's in the issue, like, shoots the branch or whatever so that 3PO falls, and these two creatures get their tongues, like, all entangled in each other, and they can't break free. Oh, that's hot. And I'm positive that they are Gundarks. I'm, all, I'm almost positive of it, and they look nothing like the Gundarks. Yeah, that they, s- never,
0: re- they s- never read that issue. They read Splinter yeah. of the Mind's Eye, but they haven't read that yeah, Star Wars real-
2: comic. The only visual I've seen before of a Gundark from previous to this episode was actually the uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, Star Wars miniature line. They made a Gundark. And it looks like a big, hairy dog-looking thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's all over the board. I think it's whatever they want to make it, you know? Well, I don't yeah, think- I was
0: just going to say that uh, they don't really... Um, they sort of say, so they, you know, you could you could write it off by saying, well, they weren't really positively sure it was a Gundark, right? They're just like, oh, so uh, I, th- I it seems like a Gundark. Well, I didn't, I thought the Gundarks were only in this system. Well, apparently, that's a system we must be in.
2: Gundarks are shapeshifters.
0: Yeah, or it could be a Gundark in a. It, maybe Gundarks go through several. You know, they pupate and they spin a little cocoon and come out as adult you know maybe the adult gundarks have wings leathery wings and the the, smaller ones and long tongues and the smaller ones are like the ones we saw
2: in this one well i think the more interesting question would be um i know a lot of what they say is uh the movies are the highest point of canonical history Uh that you have then right now the TV shows that're they coming out with will be the next one. So, is this what Lucasfilm from now on is going to see at the Gundark or are they going to do some revisionist history down the line? Or is this going to be their version of a Gundark from now on?
0: Well, it probably will will be because at this point, why would they why be revisionist about it when you already have the 3D models for it, you know, <laughs> in in your hard drive. That's a great thing is as they make more and more of these, they get, you know, all that stuff is just a is just clarified. You know, yeah, well it's also it's just like you could have a whole database of all the characters and how they move and you know, you can you you know, the way they're making films now they could direct access and say, "Oh, what did this character look like?" and if they wanted to make his son further down the line, they could have a whole, you know, I mean, you know, they do it for every kind of production like that where you have character sketches and you know, in Disney, they would work out, you know, you'd have one person working out how, or a group of people working on how one character would move and stuff. But now, once you do that, you can put it in a computer in a visual sort of way. And all the spaceships and stuff, once you have that model of the spaceship, it's instead of having to put it in storage somewhere and rent a storage space, you just have it on a hard drive. And so it's like, okay, what did, you know, what exactly does a Y-Wing, you know, there's never going to be like some, somebody going to no, know, what exactly does a Y-Wing look like? Because they could just go Y-Wing and pick it up and flip it around and look at it. And cool. uh, so maybe, consi- maybe that will help with consistency of, of everything. Visual. Yeah. Visual and yeah. Yeah. Pretty much just visual, but that's, <laughs> that's Star Wars in a lot of ways, you know. Right, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't heard anything. I I don't really like stalk around looking for things, but I'm I'm curious as to how the live action show they're coming up with is gonna gonna play out. Oh, you know, visually, another great visual thing in this one. It, I, this just reminded me of it is uh, when um, Anakin goes after sort of goes on his own after Dooku after in the cave and uh dooku drops the rocks on him and you know is walking away thinking that he just disposed of skywalker when you see him in the way he puts when he puts his hood up the way his hood sort of sits on his shoulders and when he's in the shadow he almost casts the exact profile of darth vader they love doing that don't they yeah they love i i mean the the shape of his hood is is pretty much darth vader's helmet and there's a scene of him in the shadows. It's it's just great.
2: Well, I remember when I did that. I'm sorry,
3: go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I was just going to say, I, I need to pay more attention to that next time. I totally missed that.
0: Well, different people pick up different things, you know, pick up and p- notice different, different things. A little-
2: yeah, but I noticed that they've been doing that a lot. Um, I mean, they've been doing it since the Episode 1 uh, poster that they had. And then in Episode 2, there was the happy accident that made it look like Vader, right after Shmi died. you know. And I know that they did it in the Clone Wars animated cartoon, the actual hand-drawn cartoon. Uh, Tarkovsky did a couple frames where he actually cast a, a Vader shadow. And I really like that. I like that it's almost sure. like a wink-wink nod, wink, And I like that they do that a lot. So the fact that they're doing it still, I didn't catch it, but I need to go back and watch that again. <laughs> but I like that they're doing things like that because oh, yeah. it lets you as much as you're rooting for these guys you know where it's going you know what the end result is going to be and how horrible it's going to turn out
0: yeah and that's that's something that we keep coming upon in these Clone Wars episodes is they keep introducing new Jedi's that you know are going to die and you have yeah, like, like and Clone <laughs> Troopers that you like that you know are going to become merciless Jedi killers
2: right like I'm still waiting for them to get around to finally, you know, near the end of the Clone Wars series, uh, I'm hoping that the way they go with it is they kill Ahsoka. Like Ahsoka dies, instead of survives and is killed off during Order sixty six. Like it's just one more reason for Anakin to go bad, another person that he couldn't save.
0: I I, so when... I agree that that would be awesome. I doubt they would. Do, I just don't see him doing it. Cause I it would sort to of have yeah. to cross into the into the episode three storyline, and and. This... again, we'll
2: just be, will just end it and it won't actually have a a, a segue directly into the, the That's movie.
3: my guess. This came up, I'm pretty sure it was at our Clone Wars panel that we were at. This came up as a subject of of what what do we think happened to her? And i I lean two ways is that there's there's one part of me that that wants that conclusion to the story, like you said that right. that ultimately she's fated to die. But there's also, you know, half of me that says, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if she either got away somehow or or better yet that that since she's already Anakin's apprentice, what if she becomes some sort of dark apprentice or something like that? But ultimately we'll do is that they'll it'll never be revealed.
0: That's what I, think. I think
3: it will be purposely kept a mystery.
0: I think they'll keep it a mystery yeah. so, like, parents who have kids that are old enough to go. Like, but doesn't this mean that Anakin or somebody's gonna have to kill Ahsoka, and, and the parents can say, "Well, maybe you know, maybe she died, or maybe she stopped being a Jedi and went, you know, because we know Yoda and Obi Wan got away, and they think they're the only ones that got away, but they're the only ones that kept in contact."
2: And if you read yeah, the like
0: Marvel-
2: or so that I know, like in the novels, got away. Oh and yeah, in the novels
0: and looked- the comics, there were you know every once in a while you would shake out a Jedi from here or there. Right. They, they'd be insane right. or. Oh, God. And Do you remember away. that
2: bunny rabbit Jedi? Does anybody remember that from the novels? The giant bunny rabbit Jedi that they had?
0: No, but they from probably. Them from, they probably stole it from the comic books because it was a giant bunny rabbit so, creature yeah. in the comics. Yeah,
3: or, they, or, or, what was his name? Jackson. Jack- Jackson yeah, I'm Jackson.
2: Just, and it was once Luke set up the uh, the Jedi Academy, I remember that they had one of the masters that had been in hibernation for like you know 30 years or something, and he was basically a giant bunny.
0: Yeah, they, he was <laughs> probably that was- the race that Jackson was, like a human That'd body awesome. with a bunny head, with a fuzzy bunny head on
2: top. But you know, I just had a brainwave about the Ahsoka thing. Um, what if, when they're making the live-action show, they they actually intimate that Ahsoka survived Order 66, and she's a main character in actual the the, 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 the live-action show that's happening between Episode Three and Four?
0: That would be fun. She to, that would be on, fun uh, to try yeah. to. That would be fun to try to cast.
2: Yeah, that'd be an interesting little bit to do. You know, it would, it would be. It would well, be. Well, it's something well, that just... I
0: guess people have been cast off. Um, animated characters before.
3: Yeah. Uh, Something that just occurred to me that could be an interesting uh, is you know, take it a whole different direction. What if she dies through just some means during the course of the story, and that had a further effect on Anakin's descent to the dark side? You know, that that this was a loss... One less thing right. to hook you know, that, him to the Jedi. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's 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 actually a, a very distinct possibility and it would it would avoid the issue it would skirt the issue of her being slaughtered by her own people.
3: <laughs> right. right. Especially if it was if they could tailor the story to something where Anakin could have saved her. Or Anakin was in place to save her or something like that, and the Jedi order themselves you know like the jedi council or one of the masters or something you know fuck something up to where anakin couldn't be there and she died as a result of that and it drives a further wedge between him and the order something like that
0: they're showing that she's picking up anakin's traits as a jedi his good and bad traits so you know if it was a if it was a sort of position where she was sort of you know by proxy anakin where she was in some situation where the where she was in trouble and the Jedi Council told her to do something that you know Anakin would do the exact opposite but she stuck to the Jedi Council and got wiped out that would definitely be a wedge with you know because it would be sort of you know it would that would be very personal to to Anakin but then it would Boy. also be weird that it never came up in episode 3 but I guess it doesn't you know I guess it doesn't fit in the storyline. So he could have been talking about it, but they just outside yeah, the, off camera. Whoop.
1: Um, okay. So what's the any
2: other, uh, any other uh, points from the show?
0: I think I pretty you much
2: only- hit my notes.
3: The the only other two I had, and I mean they're they're real quick, is just uh I, I like the score in this one. I, I always try to make a point to notice the score, and I thought this one had a particularly good score, especially in the in the Wequan parts of the episode. And uh, Corey Burton, um the voice actor Corey Burton, who I really, really like, he's done so many voices, and I, I probably remember him best as Brainiac in the DC animated universe stuff, like Superman, the animated series and stuff. He does uh, several voices in this, but he does count Dooku. And I thought Dooku sounded excellent in this episode. He, yeah. he just captured something yeah. in the inflection and the deepness of the voice that he has a lot of one-liners that are delivered very sinister in this episode. Yes, so deliciously I, I really evil stu- yeah, voice.
1: Yeah, it
3: really stood out to me in this one. I really enjoyed uh, that voice acting in this one, but well, it's, yeah, it's... that's all I've got. I, I enjoyed the episode.
0: Wait, do you, do you hear that weird sound? No. It's like that sound you hear when you're at the beach and you put a shell up to your ear, like the ocean uh-huh. surf coming in.
3: I do hear it now. It
0: must be some weird Skype effect. I don't know what's what's going on.
3: How do you... <coughs> 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 Sorry. I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. All right, welcome back to Orca's Book Club. Real quick, I'm going to talk about Star Wars Labyrinth of Evil by James Lacino. This is an audiobook review. This was the abridged version read by Jonathan Davis. This book was all right. You know, I enjoyed it. It's not spectacular and it was one of those that doesn't really add a whole lot it's basically a precursor to Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith it there was a book I reviewed I can't remember what the name of it was that did basically the same thing that this book does for Episode 3 there was an earlier book that did the same sort of thing for Episode 1 where it basically kind of just introduced you to the characters it put everybody into place so that you knew how they got to where they were before the movie started. That's almost the same thing that this book does. It basically just shows us the adventures that were going on just prior to when the movie starts and Anakin and Obi-Wan are in their starfighters. and and It it, it just fills in that gap a little bit. However, my, my beef with the book was that we got a lot of this, in the animated series, in the first Star uh, Clone Wars animated series, and a lot of the events in this book, especially how Chancellor Palpatine is kidnapped, contradict that. And I didn't like that. That kind of annoyed me a little bit. It's been my understanding that that Clone Wars series is not exactly considered canon, which doubly annoys me, seeing as how it was so embraced by Lucasfilm to the point where that was where we first were introduced to... Um, General Grievous.
0: And I thought it worked so, good as canon.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. So the fact that the, these two don't mesh up, in my mind, I weigh Clone Wars a lot heavier than I weigh this book. But that's not to say it's a bad book. It's not. It's, it's, it was enjoyable. It was just kind of like one of those throwaway books. It's like, eh, you know, how highly should I recommend this, seeing as how you really don't need to read it, you know what I mean? To To get a further picture of the Star yeah. Wars universe, per se. But there are right. some interesting things. It does fill in a lot of the backstory and a lot of missing details, the biggest one being it finally cleared up something for me that I had a lot of trouble with in Episode 2, which was I didn't quite understand the mystery of Master sifo dias I always had the impression that sifo dias may have actually been either Count Dooku or um, Palpatine himself, that had set the whole thing up with the Kaminoans and the cloning and all that. Well, this book lays all that to rest. sifo actually was a Jedi that somehow get embroiled in this whole thing. And Dooku, at least according to the book was the one that took him out that they, they'd actually had some sort of relationship with each other when Dooku was still part of the order. That part of the book I really enjoyed. And I I don't want to spoil too much of that. Um, Major nitpick with this book though. There's an interesting plot device, you know, plot element in this story where the the book starts out and there's a, a, an attack on uh, Nuke Gunray's world. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of it at the moment. But anyway, they're going there to basically try to capture Gunray. And Gunray, being the coward that he is, he runs off and they don't get him. But he leaves behind all this so They basically attack his home. Well, one of the things that gets left behind is that chair that, you know, we see in, uh, in episode one, you know, the walking chair that projects, um, um, count, uh, uh, yeah, Darth Sidious's image on it.
1: Uh-huh.
3: It gets left behind and Anakin figures out how to access the chair. And it has certain recordings of these encounters in memory. So they actually get to see Darth Sidious for the first time in this holographic form and they end, actually end up listening to some of the holographic messages and stuff. Now my question is, do they not have something like a bat computer in the Star Wars universe where they could run some sort of like voice analysis or something and figure out that Darth Sidious has the same exact voice as Chancellor Palpatine? It just seemed a little weird to me that, that nobody ever ran it through any sort of database or anything to try to see if they could match it up to any existing person or what i know it's really nitpicky but it really jumped out in to me when i was reading this but other than that that was really all i had on it it's an enjoyable book some of the battle scenes are pretty cool and how they lead up to the entire uh, invasion of uh, coruscant which is basically where we pick up the episode three movie, you know, the big battle over the planet with the giant spaceships. That's pretty cool. So I enjoyed all that. It's worth a read. It's just, like I say, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily, it's not an, a required read, but it is enjoyable. So, you know, on that base, on that basis, I would recommend it because, you know, so far these star Wars books have been kind of hit and miss. So I have to recommend the ones that are at least halfway decent. So,
2: well, you know, I was noticing when you were saying um, about the uh, Labyrinth of Evil um, and how they had the uh, du- uh, what was it? Um, new gun race chair and uh, uh-huh. how they were able to look at all that stuff. One of the things I thought was interesting about Labyrinth of Evil when I was actually uh, listening, uh, listening to it, reading it, uh, I actually read the book. I didn't listen to the abridged version, so I don't know what the differences are. But I almost saw it as um, the beginning of a trilogy that uh, a lot of people that I've heard have referred to it as the Dark Vader trilogy. I'm not sure if you're really familiar with this, but basically it's *Labyrinth of Evil*, then it's the Episode Three novelization, and then it is uh, *Dark Lord of the Sith: Vader*, which is yeah, the that's one like,
3: of the next books I'm going to read. I'm looking forward to that. Wow. one. I've heard it's really good.
2: And they really tie together quite nicely into like a nice little trilogy of books that kind of show Anakin and his. Uh, uh, Jedi state and then his influx during the, the third movie and then basically him becoming Vader and accepting the fact that he's just going to throw down on the Um which I always thought was pretty funny. I'm very interested uh, uh, in it, that. That seems like right. an interesting it, it re- topic. It really is uh, uh, something that I thought was cool, but one of the things I thought was interesting about Labyrinth of Evil is the fact that they had so much discrepancy from the Clone Wars cartoons that Jindy Tartakoski did. Um, and one thing I rationalized was that even though the Tartakovsky books are considered more canonical than the books, I almost see them as an oral tradition. Like maybe a guy who actually saw the Clone Wars is telling his grandson all these stories from the Net. He's like, this is what I saw back in the day. And they become these elaborate tales because, you know, Mace Windu taking on an entire army of clones by himself without a lightsaber is a little exaggerated. I mean, come on. <laughs> so i almost see it as him telling the story of himself as a kid you know because you know he, um uh, and he gets like the bottle of water and he drinks it and then he goes back and he fights more droids uh-huh um almost, almost as if it's something like that where it's almost like an oral tradition and maybe a labyrinth of evil is more probably what happened
0: yeah maybe maybe um, all of clone wars is told by that kid in that episode
2: yeah it, it's his True. view of I don't know, that was how I kind of looked at it, and I thought it was kind of interesting. But uh, I agree, you know, A of the People is an interesting read, especially if you go into it expecting to read episode three of the novelization and then the the, the following book. Um, on its own, I, I definitely agree that, you know, it's kind of hit or miss, depending on what parts you're reading. Um, but it's, if you're interested in kind of seeing Anakin right before he goes all wonky, it, it's definitely worth checking out.
3: Yeah, now, yeah I agree. No,
0: I want to read all three of those books. So success!
3: This has
1: been the Orca Book Club.
3: long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars the greatest space fantasy of all.
0: Okay, hey, we're back. It's uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday. Now we're back to the Marvel Star Wars comics. And uh, this time we've even been able to, through the magic of the internets, um, have a guest on who's read these three comics along with us. So he'll actually know what we're talking about. And this this month we're doing Marvel Star Wars number thirty three through thirty five, which is a continuation of the sort of barren Tag battle and um, the Omega Frost storyline from last month. So I'm going to hand it off to Scott, who's who's craftily crafted up a synopsis of issue number thirty
3: three. Sweet. Okay, this is Marvel Comics number 33, the March 1980 issue covered by Carmine Infantino and Bob Wyacek. It features Luke Skywalker and Baron Tag locked in deadly lightsaber combat against a Starfield background. It's pretty cool. Written by Archie Goodwin. Art on the Interior by Carmine Infantino and Gene Day, which that's my personal favorite of the of the Infantino inkers is Gene Day. He does, does really extraordinary stuff. Original cover price on this was a mere 40 cents. Story is entitled Saber Clash. So this one starts out, we got Han, Chewie, Luke, and the droids are, are attempting to put the crummy planet tattooing in the rearview mirror once again when Luke spots a House of Tag mining explorer sitting parked in orbit. And Luke realizes that this is the same one that was ferrying TIE fighters into the Yavin system a few issues back. They witness the ship taking aboard a passenger shuttle, and Luke realizes it's got to be the Baron. Han maneuvers the Falcon so as to put an asteroid cluster between them and the Tag ship so that they can watch and and basically see what the ship is up to and when the ship finally takes off where it's headed. Aboard the tag ship, we get a scene with the Baron throwing an absolute hissy fit, and he's tearing a bunch of shit up with his lightsaber because of his failure to capture Luke Skywalker in the prior issue. His brother, Silas, the uh, crazy, like, Doc Brown-looking mad scientist guy, he's trying to uh, comfort his brother with the knowledge that all is proceeding according to plan and that the Omega Frost is a go they go into hyperspace with the Millennium Falcon in hot pursuit back on the Falcon Luke gets in some lightsaber practice and the droids let the Wookiee win at holographic chess once again they drop out of sublight and arrive at the planet Junction that you may remember from a couple issues back that the uh, rebels were getting their supplies from and the House of Tag ship is there and it's uh, linked up with an Imperial Star Destroyer and doing a transfer of some mysterious cargo Luke gets into a spaceship and somehow miraculously manages to infiltrate this cargo transferal and and integrate himself into the workforce. Once among these people, Luke eavesdrops on their comm frequency, which begs the question why the hell he didn't just stay aboard the Millennium Falcon and do all that, and he learns that the cargo is components of the Omega Frost device and that the Baron intends to use it on the planet Junction to freeze the entire planet. Luke tries to hightail it back to the Millennium Falcon, but space-going stormtroopers are awaiting him. And just as Luke tries to yell a uh, a warning to his friends that it's a trap, he is blasted. Han and Chewie are reluctantly forced to abandon their friend, not even knowing at this point if he's alive or dead. And they return to the fourth moon of Yavin and one pissed off Princess Leia. Han spills the Baron's plans to Leia and General Dodonna. Back on Tag's ship, Luke awakens to find himself confronted by the Baron. Luke overpowers the Baron, steals back his lightsaber, and flees, attempting to find some means of escape. The Baron, meanwhile, issues an order that no one is to stop or even confront Luke Skywalker. The Baron, it turns out, has set this whole thing up so that Luke will provide him with a little bit of spore and some much-needed lightsaber practice for the Baron's one-day-hoped-for rematch with Darth Vader. You know, there's a a serious shortage of, you know, lightsaber-wielding people for him to to battle. So the Baron catches up with Luke toward the end of the issue, and there's a spectacular lightsaber battle during the course of which um, Luke uses the Force and manages to slash his lightsaber across the Baron's face. He doesn't injure the Baron at all, but he leaves him psychologically shattered because Luke's skill has allowed him to basically sever the, the Baron's bionic glasses. Remember, you know, his eyes are destroyed. He uses these glasses to see kind of like Geordi Laforge, but he has not hurt the Baron at all. It doesn't even leave a scratch on his face. So it's pretty, pretty remarkable uh, lightsaber force skill there. And Luke steals a tie fighter and escapes, but little does he know that the Baron's creepy brother, Silas has sabotaged Luke's ride. And that's where the issue ends. So what did we all think of this one?
2: Well, I'm new to the whole Marvel comic run of Star Wars since, you know, I haven't read it in, oh God, 20, 25 years. And the first thing that struck me about this was that when you're actually reading these books, I forget how much just dialogue and and narrative they try to put into each and every little panel (laughs) it's like they don't trust the artist to be able to depict what they want so they tell you almost bit by bit exactly what's going on so then you look at the panel and then you have to basically read the dialogue of what the panel's going on and that kind of stuff always drove me nuts as a kid because i was like look i I like reading and i like comic books but i kind of like them to be a little bit more balanced and so it was kind of fun for me to go back and read those um, and see that style again, which I don't really see all that often in my in my normal comic book reading, which is a more modern stuff. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and then I also thought what was especially hysterical, which we had kind of talked about before the recording, which was the fact that, um, A, nobody really knew exactly what the lightsaber could and could not do. Right. B, the hilts kept changing sizes depending on the panel. Like, it would go from being something that two hands could hold to almost not even being able to be held by one hand. And then... Uh, <laughs> And then three, that weird Thunder the Barbarian-looking light blade coming out the end of it because they couldn't <laughs> print it right. You know, and I thought those were all three just very interesting things that remind me so much of the Macquarie art from back in, in, in the original concept material. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'm right, I think you had mentioned that this uh, had come out before Empire, correct? Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. So basically all they had was the art and and the conceptual stuff from the first movie. They probably didn't have access to anything from Empire yet. So they were really kind of in the dark.
0: Yeah, Empire, I wonder... I'm sure was under wraps. And, you know, even especially, even though they were doing a story about it, I'm sure they were keeping the stuff away from them because they didn't want it to get, you know, out in any way. Right.
3: Right. I, I even wonder, seeing as what year this is and everything, if they even had much access to the film itself, you know because this would be i'm pretty sure this was before like uh videotape and things like that so i wonder if they even had access to a copy of the film because one thing that comes up in this issue and then again is even compounded worse in the next issue is the game table the holographic chess table in the millennium falcon in this issue it's drawn square and then in the next issue, it's drawn square, and then there's even sides on it, so it's like a it's like a recessed playing surface. Mm-hmm. And my note was, Jesus, did Infantino even watch the movie? But then I got to thinking, you know, I'm looking at it from our perspective when we can just pop in the DVD any any time of the day or night. And back in this time, even if he'd seen the movie yeah, ten to times, store it he in might his Brain, not. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you got to cut him a lot of slack for stuff like that. I think. Well, it's, right.
0: in the next issue that I'm going to talk about, we'll have uh, – definitely there's some more what can a lightsaber do
1: right. stuff, stuff
0: going on. Oh, yeah. On. We've got to talk about that. And uh, and one thing to, um, to your point of all the exposition and stuff in this, I think these – well, at this time period in comics, I think they're right on that cusp. And I think Frank Miller had a lot to do with it when comic artists and writers realized – Holy shit, comics are cinematic. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're like movies. And I think Star Wars had a lot to do with it, too, because when people started getting interested in Star Wars and the making of it, that was the first time you started seeing on TV people, we, well, we storyboarded it all out. It's like a comic book, you know, but it's purely visual. And, and then Frank Miller started doing Daredevil, and right. just a more cinematic feel came over to comics where... Um, You know, you started following that cinematic rule of show, don't tell. Because comics were all show and tell before that. We're doing a Swamp Thing series that's all exposition right now, you know? Yes. Right. Blah, 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 blah.
2: So, of course, the greatest irony would be that the cinematic movie that kind of changed visual storytelling has the most clunky dialogue in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I know. It's funny. (laughs) But but that changed as it went on, you know, towards... um, it's funny. Scott just sent me um, what is it? Issue ninety six.
3: Ninety six. Yes. Uh,
0: that one barely has any dialogue in it. It's one big battle just told in pictures and.
3: Nice. It's pretty. Yeah. We it's will be talking cool. uh, after after this segment. We will be talking just a tad more about issue ninety six because I actually have some awesome news about that issue. Ooh, but uh, that's right. You know, not too long from now. Um, you know, within a couple more issues, we will say goodbye to um, Carmen Infantino almost permanently. He he comes back for at least one more f- uh, issue, I know. Post the Empire Strikes Back, but shortly we'll be done with him, and I'll really miss him because I really liked his art style. He he, in a lot of ways, defined Star Wars to me during this period. Even However, the stuff. Yeah, exactly. However, something I will not miss at all. Is if you look at the last panel on page seven, by this <laughs> point I am completely tired of the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon being a fucking auditorium. I mean, it's huge. He he never did get this right. That you know he he draws Han and Chewie's seats and and the whole area of the cockpit like it's the bridge of the enterprise or something you know yeah, it's just it's, it's it's so big that it's yeah, yeah. actually able to stand up and have a, a lightsaber battle with the remote and it's like no 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 there's for one thing there's two more chairs there behind han and Chewie. yeah and
0: it's just a narrow corridor to all the yeah. chairs and the chairs are squashed together too yeah. it's like a small planes cockpit yeah, yeah. It
3: but that's drive me crazy
0: but you know <laughs> And and also, is it like every time the Millennium Falcon goes into hyperspace, do the droids and Chewie have to start playing chess and Luke has to whip out his Jedi ball? You know, it's just like, you know. And and also on that page has the fattest C-3PO ever up in the the first panel on that page. C-3PO looks like he's been, you know packing on the pounds, you know, maybe he <laughs> needs to go on a little diet or something. Even well, in the, the next frame his head's the,
2: kind of fat like Iron Man. Yeah. Well, I think uh speaking towards the uh whole um idea that they keep showing the the the, the droids playing the Wookiee and and whatnot, and Luke always put on his lightsaber, is I think they're trying to make it almost visually connect back to the movie. Yeah, oh yeah.
1: Like,
2: like when you read X-Men comics, at the beginning of every X-Men comic or something, you know, like, they have to tell you exactly what each mutant's powers do, and then, of course, when you get to Wolverine, he's the best at what he does, but what he does isn't very nice. And you hear that line so many times, you're like, please, stop it. (laughs) Um, But they're doing that for, I I guess, the people who have not picked up the previous 30, you know, two comics. um, Right, right. You know, they want them to go, oh, there's a Star Wars moment. I see that Star Wars moment. Um, but one thing I thought they did that was really interesting in this is when Luke is practicing, he actually gets little ghosty Obi-Wan over his shoulder. Now, whether, you know, they're just doing like a flashback in a corner or whether, you know, it, it we can almost make the, uh, the, the retcon that maybe ghosty Obi-Wan did appear and talk to him for a moment. Um, right. Right. You can actually kinda of make that, which I thought was kinda of neat considering the fact that they had no knowledge that Obi-Wan was going to be pulling those kind of tricks as far as actually showing up visually. Yes,
3: yeah, we, I yeah, I liked that. That that was that a was nice kind of cool. to me that kinda of tied to yeah. when we kind of see him shimmer into existence briefly in uh in Empire. Right. I, I love that, that it all kinda of tied together and, and you know,
2: worked in that sense. Like Luke the, had been having these premonitions that were getting stronger and stronger until Hoth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Apparently no. Obi-Wan looks more like Moses in the afterlife,
2: though. <laughs> well, you know, with as um, much crap that Luke puts on top of him, as far as, like, you know, re- you know, revering the guy, I mean, you know, Moses would be a, a fairly good role model.
0: Sure, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: what else have I got here? Oh, oh. oh. I'm sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead.
2: No, oh, go ahead, man. man. Okay, I was going to say, one thing I loved about this was when Luke is trying to infiltrate the space truckers, I had, like, a moment of I wanted somebody to be bringing, like, a, an alien from, like, you know, LV-426, you know, like one of those eggs or something. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, man, because they're talking to each other, and they're like, oh, this sucks, and we got to get this crap up there, but don't talk too much, because if you do, you're going to get in trouble, and they're going to kill you and then here comes Luke and, and I, all he needed to wear was like some kind of like trucker's hat and we could have had a scene out of Alien in the movie and <laughs> this weird crossover it was so bizarre when I was reading that I was like that is just weird um, because I really got the impression from the the, the, uh, the, 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 the shipping guys the, 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 the actual space truckers that they felt like they were from that movie, and I'm wondering if Infantino uh, went over and said, um, "I need some other reference," and maybe went and saw Alien or something at like a, a, a late night cinema, <laughs> and got inspired because that was just hysterical to me. And and what kind of crap ass security do you have where Luke could just kind of float in, anyways? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. like, well, that was, was like that.
3: That was my biggest uh, nitpick with this issue was that you know he just floats in, nobody seems to notice him. And then on top of that, if if you look at at the panels, like on page eleven, every one of these cargo units has a balanced four man team. They're, they almost look like an acrobatic troop or something. Yeah, and here then comes Luke Mr. just five. Yeah, yeah, and it's nobody says what, what the hell are you doing here? You know what's up with <laughs> you? You know nobody acts like it's weird or anything until he you know he, he gets the information about what they're gonna do with the Omega Frost, you know that it is the Omega Frost and then what they're planning to do with it and he splits and then one of the guys actually said, hey, you know, nobody called a break. but other than that, they don't even notice when he comes in. Nobody says anything when he just joins up. It well, just it seems says something really nice about
0: they're it. so focused on their cargo that they don't see him floating up or some something stupid like that. But you know, come on, it's full of cliches. I mean, yeah. or so, you know, so Orman's a scientist. So in the last panel, we see him with a test tube in his hand in the classic. <laughs> you know, gazing beyond his test tube As he tells him his plans are all coming into effect And, you know, okay So he's got the Omega Frost right now And they're trying to hook this sucker up Why would he be messing around with some experiment With test tubes at this point, you know Yeah, he seems laboratory? like more of a
3: technical scientist Like he builds shit Right,
2: right
0: Yeah, you'd yeah. be overseeing the your newest project Being put in since it's so important The Omega Frost is so important But, you know, they just wanted that frame of him holding up his test tube. It's like, oh, he's the scientific one.
3: Is this the first time we've seen space troopers?
2: Now, I don't know. I I haven't read any other ones, but I did notice the space troopers. And weren't those kind of like the precursors to the dark troopers? Isn't that what they kind of became? Like the shadow troopers or whatnot that Vader had around? Like they were always in space and they always... Because I know they make their appearance in Marvel first. And they're always, like, in the black armor. And I don't want to say they always had, like, jetpacks, like, if they were going to be in space or something.
3: I'm not sure. I'm not sure because, you know, the the first time I remember black stormtroopers was the, the Russ Manning um, newspaper strips where, the you know, they looked just like stormtroopers except where these troopers would be, you know, regular stormtroopers would be white. These guys mm-hmm. were black. But uh, but as far as like space going, I don't remember if those guys were space. There may be two different kinds of uh, of troopers. I'm not really sure, but I know that eventually we would see space troopers because these basically are stormtroopers with jetpacks on their back. But eventually right. we would see like full blown space troopers where the armor was actually it was different. Had the jet,
0: uh, I think the armor had the jetpack like built into it too. Right. Yeah. It yeah. was like
2: bulkier. It was like more sealed looking.
3: Well, you know, up and you know, until we get to, um, the Empire Strikes Back, you know, I, I'm sure they didn't realize that there would be variations of stormtrooper armor. You know, when we finally see like the snowtroopers and then oh, see, so like sweet. the biker biker scouts, you know, they, Marvel probably didn't realize that that they could actually alter the the stormtrooper outfit they maybe they assumed it would look the same no matter what environment yeah. they were in or right whatever. But i like that idea that that it's slightly different depending on what the environment is whether it's like in the snow or underwater or in the sand or whatever i think that's a really cool idea
1: well there's
0: actually a letter in the letter column this month that, that know, actually where they actually say hey you know there's a lot of stuff we can't do so you know there's right. a girl asking him to do all this stuff and he's like well you know we have, to, we have to follow Lucas's lead, so, yeah. Well, my
3: favorite part of that letter column is the one that addresses something I think I just bitched about this in one of our prior episodes is the fact that they never change their clothes. And somebody actually wrote in saying, you know, come on, these guys have got to stink by now. You know, Luke's going all over the galaxy, but he's still dressing like a hick His from Tatooine. Throat. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I love that because uh, within, like, a couple of issues, they actually address that, and he does finally change his damn clothes. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, he probably looks
2: like, a white shirt to a brown shirt.
3: <laughs> Han says warp again for uh, for light speed. Instead of saying light speed, he says warp warp or warp speed, something to that effect, I notice, And then uh, I don't know if you would really count this as, like, uh, like a continuity thing or whatever, but uh, I'm trying to figure out what page it was on. I, I had a note of it, but I failed to note what page. Baron Tag says something about. Uh, oh, here it is. It's the top of page 17, second panel. He says, uh, "I hope you're as skillful with uh, with it, talking about his lightsaber, as you were with an X-wing fighter during my operation on Yavin." Luke took down the Baron's operation in a TIE fighter, not an X-Wing fighter. Remember, he actually had a stolen Imperial ship that he used to, because to, uh, that was the one where he, the Baron had that tornado machine inside the planet itself, and Luke flew in, blew it up, and then almost couldn't fly out. So somebody, somebody forgot what kind of ship that Luke was actually flying during that. It's a minor thing, but I just thought it might be worth pointing out.
2: Now, I did have a question that I think I know the answer from reading the next two comics, but now, was the Baron and his brother actually a part of the Empire, or are they just subcontracting out?
3: Well, the Baron was like... he To me, he's like a precursor to Prince Shizor, if you ever read Shadows of the Empire. Right, son. I, I think he's kind of the same type of thing where he wants to gain the favor of the Emperor. He basically wants to take vader's place as as the emperor's lapdog you know the right hand man and all that so he's doing what he can to prove himself and to show vader up Mm. so he he's so stinking rich he's he's kind of almost like count dooku where he's rich enough to finance his own doings and his own goings on And I think his brother, whatever his name, Orman or whatever, I think he's the only one who's actually an active Imperial officer. The rest of these guys are just part of the TAG family and operating off the the family, you know, off the family budget or whatever.
2: Yeah, because I know that they had Stormtroopers and I know they had some TIE fighters. And I was like, "Would the Empire really be, you know, handing that stuff oh, out?" Oh
3: yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of. Yeah, you're absolutely right that aboard.
2: So I was kind of curious about that. If there, they had mentioned that before, like if he was like subcontracting out to the Empire and they'd given him some hardware.
3: Yeah, you know, I for God, I can't believe I've never really thought about that before. But you're right, aboard Tag's House of Tag ship. He does have imperial officers, doesn't he? I never yeah. really—it never really occurred to me before. But you're absolutely right, because on well, page there's a, there's a
0: bit of tension 18. between the tags and the imperials too. The 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 imperial—I don't know what his rank is, but the you know the guy who's in charge of that they're dealing with is pretty gets pretty frustrated with the right all their shenanigans.
3: Yeah, I just happen to be on page 18, and and when the baron's issuing the orders to let Luke go. He's talking to a stormtrooper. So, God, I can't believe I never really thought about it before. But you're absolutely right. That is really wacky. That, yeah, these should be his own people. You know, these should be the equivalent of like, like Amidala's palace guards or some shit like that. You know, they shouldn't. You know, or you know, the Cloud City guards that Lando bossed around. These should not be, you know, uniformed Imperials. I don't think because I, yeah, I don't think that. That the Baron or, or Silas or anybody but their brother, the General, actually holds any sort of imperial status. I, I, at least I didn't have that impression.
2: Mm.
3: I don't know that. Hmm, that's an excellent okay. point.
2: Okay, weird, weird question of the day, I guess. <laughs>
3: No, I think it's a great question though. I am I'm, I'm going to have to check that out and see if I can find something on like Wookie, wikipedia or something that would tell a little bit more about what what the deal is there cuz that does seem odd that you know he's you know he's he's like a eccentric millionaire or something. is how I always saw him. Yet he's got a ship full of imperial officers? Yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Mm. But maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a a good explanation for it that I just am not aware of or something. Good call. I'm sorry?
2: I said issue 47, they reveal it all. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny is uh, I could be wrong, but to my memory, once the Empire adaption comes along, I really don't think a lot of this pre Empire stuff gets picked back up. I'm almost positive that the whole Baron storyline just kind of sort of
0: gets dropped dropped
3: off. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's kind of strange. It's it's
0: well, they have new material to work off there, so it's like they have so much stuff that they have that they can work off that's actual canon.
3: Yeah. Well, I think I think maybe even some of the creative teams may change after Empire as well. Right.
2: So now, coming in 2011, Dark Horse is going to start up the Baron conspiracy, and they're going to bring that (laughs) back. Well, you, know, you, you know,
3: you joke about that, but I, actually, I, I, I find that pretty plausible. Seeing, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing at least like a one shot where they go back, maybe even assemble as much of the old team as they can. Of course, uh, Archie Goodwin's long dead, but, you know, assemble as much of the old guys as they can and kind of do that, kind of wrap the whole thing up. You know, whatever happened to Baron Tag and his brother and, and the whole nine yards. Cause I, now I could, like I said, I could be wrong. It's been so long since I've read most of this stuff, but uh, I'm almost positive that after Empire, I really think they just kind of forged a whole new direction, and all all the prior storylines were pretty much dropped. I'm I'm almost positive. So, yeah, th- I think that'd be neat. I think that'd be really cool to go back and fill that in.
2: Well Maybe somebody's listening and they can do it.
3: That they can would say, be hey, that's thing. an idea.
2: Make it so. If they want Scott to buy comics,
3: they'll do that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see here. Yeah, I'm, I think that's all of my notes, except I wanted to point out two things that... Uh, I don't think we do this often enough, Chris. I'm going to kind of steal a page from the, uh, from the uh, Tales of the Justice Society of America playbook, and I'm going to point out what I thought were two awesome advertisements in this book the first one was and you know my soft spot for rom the space knight there's an awesome rom the space knight ad in this and for a change it's not the ad for the comic book it's the ad for the toy and i thought that was really cool i love rom and that's just a really cool advertisement and then on the back cover you just worn a comic book in 1979 or 1980 if you didn't have an advertisement for Star Trek, the motion picture. And I love yeah. that picture. That's, that's like the, uh, what did they call that? The one sheet? Yeah. The technology. poster? Yeah. I love that. Great picture. That's all I got on, uh, on number 33. I think uh, I think you're up next there, Freak. On uh,
0: number 34, okay, we got Star Wars Marvel 34. April 1980, once again, 40 cents on the cover, and once again, the uh, infantino wyachek team on the cover and inside, and Archie Goodman ride, Goodwin writing. And uh, this one on the cover is called Thunder in the Stars! And uh, we find Han Chui and the Princess are rushing to Junction with the Rebel fleet in tow, and they're going to cut through an asteroid corridor to sort of avoid the Imperials and that's you know basically what Han Solo does anyway is sort of a default maneuver. So uh, meanwhile, Silas Tag is uh, planning the second conductor of the Omega Frost. It is now ready to freeze and shatter the Junction Bound Rebel Fleet when they come come to uh, Luke's rescue. So Ormon Tag is still sort of in his stasis shock state, and uh, Luke meanwhile is found. His uh, stolen TIE fighter's been sabotaged, and he's just sort of floating out there with just enough fuel to send him into the asteroid corridor. So he eventually has to eject from his ship just before it hits an asteroid, and uh, then he sort of separates from his seat and uses a jetpack to launch himself to one of the uh, conductor towers somehow. Um, implausibly using his lightsaber to sort of slow him down as he whips towards the asteroid so he doesn't crush himself when he hits it and finds the tower, but he finds that it's protected by a force field. So uh, the Imperials and the Silas Tag uh, see Luke fucking around with the tower and they panic and decide they're going to activate the Omega Frost even though there's a force field before Luke can do anything. So fortunately for Han and the fleet... They notice this ahead of time Because they've turned this thing on early And there's frozen asteroids up ahead Which I thought asteroids in space were frozen anyway But anyway They look up and they you know, they see space ahead of them Is frozen and they realize
3: It's, it's a, a trap, trap.
0: Unfortunately uh, They're still unable to stop the fleet in time Before <laughs> it reaches a de- deadly Omega frost beam But Fortunately Luke discovers the force field sort of ends at the ground, so he digs through the ground to get to some of the machinery and knocks out the tower. And uh, now the fleet is free to attack the tag ship. Woo-hoo. Um, Orman,
3: Orman. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or, Orman and we say Orman, I think of that Susie Orman. Orman. Ship like the I like
2: saying like Orman. The... <laughs> Orman. Orman.
0: Orman. Silent. Um. Orman goes to Silas and he's begging him to help but uh, you know, he says okay, well if you want to live we have to do this but apparently it's too late because it, it appears that the rebels blow up their ship and uh, so the falcon finds Luke and scoops him up just in time before his air runs out and the heroes are reunited and that's the end of the saga of the Omega Frost <laughs> Another another one where where he actually turns his lightsaber on and off to slow himself down. I don't. I just don't see how that we were having in uh, in um, we're sort of recording these Star Wars and Star Trek episodes out of order. But we were talking about the Enterprise pushing off something in space to get away from something, right? And just yeah, what is his lightsaber pushing against? The vacuum of space.
2: Yeah, I guess I'd, they assume that since the lightsaber actually extends, that it's creating some sort of force. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? He's turning it off and on. Like, <laughs> like, Literally, I, it would I, it be I like
0: turning a flashlight on and uh, off.
2: Right. I mean, the only thing I could figure is that maybe there's a mode, like, you know, Anakin was that awesome when he made the lightsaber, sure. and he could put it on, like, sputter mode, where it would just kind of flash out plasma and just kind of like a wash oh. instead of, like, an actual concentrated beam. Um, but it was so bizarre, man. I was just looking at that, and my wife is shaking her butt in front of me. Hold on. Hey, wife. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> I decided to do awesome. a little dance. Pay attention. <laughs> but I just saw that, and it was the most bizarre thing, because they're like, and slowly, Luke begins to decelerate. And, and I'm like, the fuck he does? He's going <laughs> to sit right inside of that ash. <laughs> It, it, it made me laugh quite a lot because I, I thought it was so hysterical that they had given this lightsaber this miraculous property of being an engine without having any fuel or concept of momentum or thrust or anything.
3: Well, shouldn't the lightsaber just plunge right into the surface? Right. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's what about, I've always that, thought. That, since that would I was be about kid, the only, it,
0: only effect, yeah, that it should yeah.
3: have. Because I mean, it, it, it's it's basically like a super razor blade, you know. It just it, it's like right. Wolverine's claws; it cuts through anything. So instead of having this, you know well, the only thing I can think of is that you know, and, and this is my shit attempt at a no prize for this, but all right, we we learned in Splinter of the Mind's Eye that the lightsaber does have different properties. Like for example, I think in that one, Luke could actually adjust the the blade width where he could make it like pencil thin to what do he like use it to pick a lock pick a lock lock or, something. or something like yeah. that I think so I'm thinking yeah. maybe there's a, a way where you could actually make the blade solid to where it wouldn't actually cut but it would actually act like a like a light baton say you know like a like a police truncheon kind of thing. And if he could do that to where it was in a mode where it wouldn't actually cut, but it would just make, like, a solid beam of light, then maybe that explanation would sort of half-ass work. But still, you would think it would, like, break his arms or, oh, yeah, it or would something. On, it, it would
0: only work, like, in the last second as he was hitting the ground, maybe. But, I yeah, mean, this was he the saw the asteroid coming, and he's just, like, holding his lightsaber out in front of him and turning it on and turning it off and the force of that is slowly slowing him down, it's no, you know, I mean, they, at least they could, they could, you know, it would be the same thing as if like he starts spinning it like a propeller in front of him or something like that, you know, it's just, but you know, of course I'm sure they, they were figuring their target audience was about 10 or 12 at right. this point. So, okay. or if they were older, they were just like, okay,
2: <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Okay, What's... so I have to totally bring up page one, panel one, first big splash page D- Is it just me or does Leia look like a man?
0: Except for the tits.
2: Yeah, well, except... <laughs> it's like- Carmine...
0: Well, that's a running gag in, in this is Carmine Infantino is very lovingly renders Leia's tits.
2: Y- yeah, no, she's got some nice tits in this, um, but... And if you actually look, Chewie's actually kind of glancing over to the tits like... <laughs> it's. Like, like he's hey, hungry hey. hasn't had milk for the day or something. Yes. But then again, look at Chewy. He looks like some kind of like Viking that hasn't shaved in a millennium. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he, yeah, there's several different types of Chewy that Carmine Infantino draws. There's Bigfoot Chewy. There's Viking Chewy. Yeah. Several. Uh, th- now, this is a pretty accurate, good Han, Sol- Han Solo for for Carmine Infantino. Yeah. yeah he, he just Wait. likes to draw his faces very angular. So a lot of times, women can come out being very pointy Asking. and having that that. Praying mantis head sort of thing yeah. going on, but then then you go to page. Well, oh, where is it? There's.
2: Well, sorry, I was going to say, but on page two and three, beautiful two page spread though.
0: Yeah, well the I mean, spaceships are like always. Nice. The spaceships are always beautiful. They're always um, nicely detailed and stuff. Sometimes the Falcon could look really weird. In the last issue, there was one where this Falcon was sort of flattened out a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's flattened out on the bottom of that one, too. And this but one, too. really sweet, yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, he always, he always draws the, the spaceships really well. And, and, you know, his people, it's just sort of you get used to his style. You know, you get used to that angular sort of style. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it would be like if Jack Kirby was drawing it or something. I would get used to the Jack Kirby face. Right. And... Uh, so i've I've gotten used to over the years the infantino style of drawing the faces, although like when it was fresh and new it kind of annoyed me a little bit but um
2: which is why i 'm probably noticing this so much
0: yeah and he's gotten better like in the early days his stormtroopers were always kind of squashed down and uh, and weird too but he's getting better at drawing stormtroopers but the thing the thing that just out of this whole story arc that's that's annoyed me has been the, the uh the Omega Frost, and the fact that, like, since they turned it on in space... Okay, I would get it if all the asteroids broke up or everything, but they're dripping... For one, they have ice dripping off the bottom of them, as right, if there was like, a gravity, like... What is it, stalagmites or tights? Which one come from the ceiling? Oh, Considering there's oh. an up or down in space or whatever, but on the frame... Yeah, that. But it's all just hanging down from the... from them and... It's like, where did all that water come from, too? And that water would have been solid anyway if it was in space.
2: Right. So. Well, it made sense for, like, the ships, as far as working it on the ships. But you're right. As far as the actual celestial bodies are just sitting there in space, they should have stayed exactly the same. Yeah. It so there would have been, been no colder. visual cue. I don't know. That, so that is a weird one.
3: I looked up Baron Tag on Wikipedia, and I mean, it, there's a massive entry for a character that really wasn't around all that long. And I was kind of skimming it. It looks to me like, and I'm wondering how, where they're getting a lot of this backstory from. Maybe one of those, like, role-playing books or something. But well, it story. looks like like basically that, that the that the Baron was some sort of... I think you had said like independent contractor kind of thing. I think he was actually working for Palpatine in some sort of capacity. So that's why he had Imperial officers on his ship and stuff. It looks like, and I don't want to spoil ahead in the story, but I'm just, uh, 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 I've got a horrible memory. Apparently the storyline with the Baron does conclude right before the empire strikes back. So I was wrong about that. Oh, okay, yeah, but I don't want to spoil it. Another
0: <laughs> thing is Silas's hair in this is more like yeah. black hair, with the blue being like the classic blue highlight they give black hair in comics. Yeah, right. so it doesn't look like he's got blue hair anymore. He looks all of a sudden he's t- it's taken that clown aspect of, it, but he's still fucking around <laughs> on page seven with his fucking test tubes.
3: I had a couple of, uh, of notes here is that you had mentioned uh, the the frozen asteroids. And uh, yesterday being Black Friday, I just want to point out that I had some frozen asteroids of my own going on. Oh, God. Waiting in the damn line to get into Walmart. But uh, no, seriously, though, on page two <laughs> and seriously, three. seriously, folks. Yeah, but seriously, <laughs> on page two and three, that, that beautiful two-page spread. I really, really like this. All, the, but I've always wondered since I was a kid and first got this issue, what the hell is that thing coming out of the radar dish of the of that biggest ship on page two? It looks like the radar dish is like firing a dart or something out. Yeah. I've never been able to figure out I what think that that's
0: is. A, I think the colorist may have done that somehow, and maybe it wasn't supposed to be colored in. It looks like It, it looks like. If it was just the same color as the ship, that sort of white and blue, it would just sort of look like an extension on the ship. You know, it would look like a gun extending off. That's you know, a big ass uh, a
3: antenna or whatever, though. Well, well, yeah. If you look, That's if you, like you look
0: over its shoulder behind it, there's another one with an, an antenna with a big long thing sticking. Oh, you're right, it. though. Yeah, like you're it. right. There's a. Maybe it's actually sort of stuck on a bunch of them.
3: Maybe it's a like the, the CB radio antenna, like right. the, the the trucks used to have. <laughs> I
2: guess. Um, a little too much detail on that antenna though, because it almost looks like a dildo. And <laughs> <laughs> it does, does. Okay, it's no, kinda, right. it's a circumcised and everything. I mean, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and sorry, and, and sorry.
0: <laughs> I, Sean, you haven't been with us in the last few months, but Princess Leia's been sort of getting around, and she's making oh. out with Han Solo in this one too. And yeah, I, I have a that. strong suspicion about three or four episodes, ago, or issues ago, she was doing the dirty with General Dodonna. Just sort of on the side, you know. They were sort of a, a you know. She didn't stress out. It was sort of a booty call type of thing. It wasn't right. like anything serious. Oh, yeah. right. Han and Luke were both off, and she sort of, you know, is twizzling around Dodonna's hair. And now she's making out with, um, with Han, and she's using her same line that she used on Luke when she made out with him. You know, we need luck, so we have well, to there's, make out. There's that,
3: there's that issue coming up, too, where where Han realizes he's come down with the clap. So, you know, don't forget about that.
0: Oh, that's, that was a great one. That was almost as good as that Spider-Man anti-drug <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's
2: something to, to, to bring us back to the comic, here's something that I was actually curious about, which is the fact that we have Luke and the TIE Fighter, right? And apparently he has a suit that we no longer, or that we don't really see with a TIE fighter. I mean, uh, it's always from my understanding that TIE fighters are, don't have any kind of atmosphere on them, so they would have, like, the generic TIE suits. So why is he in this gold getup? You know, I mean, if he's, if the Baron has all this Imperial equipment and all these Imperial guys on board of a ship, you'd think that they would also have Imperial uniformed uh, uh, spacesuits. Well, they, they, have be, an explanation they might
3: have their... that. ooh. Huh? I, I have an explanation for that. Okay. My my theory is, since this was a House of Tag mining explorer, that this is a mining suit, and what they actually mine is like asteroids and shit. So he's got like a space miner's suit on. Ah. It's a crappy explanation, but... Yeah, because yeah. it says
2: that they didn't mess with the jetpack, like the, the, the emergency jetpack.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, the survival armor's jetpack. So I guess, yeah, they say it's survival armor. So I guess he decided to go for that. I guess Luke was smart enough to go and pick up the non-standard issue armor before he jumped on the tie.
0: He knows <laughs> right. the good stuff when he sees it. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> he, he probably opened up a closet and was like, "Eh, yeah, stormtrooper, stormtrooper." You know, he probably he has bad associations with stormtrooper outfits anyway.
3: Because he <laughs> hey, I can put this on Space eBay when I'm done with exactly, it. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Someday this will be like a house of yeah, it'll be like Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, authentic, a... authentic, authentic imperial, you know, drink coasters from the imperial period. You know, you can't sell those on eBay.
2: <laughs> so, page 15 has a triple whammy here for you guys. On the very first panel, you have Chewie looking like a uh, Sasquatch
0: with, the, then you with, wark, a, with you an have... awesome line, warg. Right, warg. I think he's
3: drooling too.
2: He does. <laughs> Oh, it is a color, It's
3: like there's a coloring thing in my issue that makes yes. it look like he's he got drool running out of his face. Yeah, it's like this
2: beige that goes down his lip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've got, the, you got the Leia-Han hookup that we talked about a moment ago. And then you have the spaceship right below it that looks like it has three giant hair curlers for engines. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, my grandma used to wear those. That, yeah, those, right. were, for, that, yeah, those thought, were for kids. Well,
0: the, the kids were stealing grandma's hair things and sticking them on their amt models at that point you know so
3: yeah oh it's uh, awesome
2: sorry. i try to point
3: that out <laughs> no no that's great no you're right it does too because i've always looked at that the the back of that ship and and had a funny like that reminds me of something but could never place it and you're right it has it a very
0: steve ditko look to it that, that, yeah, you're that right. panel it has does. a very yeah. steve ditko kind of look the way it's inked and uh I liked it. I, you know, I mean, despite all this, I did like this episode. Er, oh yeah, issue. it was. You know, it was. Oh yeah, I'm uh, just picking It be uh. fun.
3: But <laughs> well, I like the. I really like the concept that there are things that a lightsaber can't penetrate, because I've always liked that shot of Luke's swing with the lightsaber actually rebounding off a yeah. of force fielder. where I think that's really a cool concept. I, a I, I, I really like thought a that was
2: either. I mean, he got launched right (laughs) (laughs) two
3: nitpicks I've got in this one is I've never understood why in the hell is the rebel fleet why did they drop to sublight and they're creeping through this asteroid field to get to the planet I mean why didn't they just come out of light speed right in orbit I I don't Uh, quite get that
2: I have an answer of that actually oh okay (laughs) Um, Well, okay. um, The way I've always understood their um, version of hyperspace to work is that it moves through a a second dimension, but any large enough gravitational body can pull out a ship from uh, 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 hyperspace. So what happens is that when they're getting near a celestial body, such as a planet or moons, if they have enough mass they could accidentally be pulled out by those things, which is why the Interdictor ships have those giant uh, uh, ovoids in the middle of their Star Destroyers so that they can generate giant uh, gravimetric fields. So, I mean, if you look at some of these panels, you're seeing these huge moons all floating around. Either they're supposed to be moons, I'm assuming. Um, So maybe the moons being in the way of the asteroids caused too much gravitational shifts for them to come in any closer. So they had to stop further out and then kind of drive carefully through the rest.
3: I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that works, I guess. Yeah. Also, is it just me? I mean, I, I know that comics did this a lot, and I know that Archie Goodwin did this a lot in particular, but maybe I'm just nitpicking, you tell me. But once the gig, the the, the jig is up here with the Omega Frost and, and Han realizes what's going to happen... They shift plans, and I I can't find it. I'm I'm flipping, but I don't actually see it. But there's basically, there's a point in here where he's like, oh, well, this was all just a trap laid to to catch us here, and they never do go to Junction. Now, I'm wondering, how does he make that leap in logic that the planet was never in any danger at all? It, It seems to me like, at the very least, they should still go to the planet to check to make sure. But he just seems to to jump. You know, I mean, of course, it's the right conclusion, but it still just seems like a bit of a leap in logic, yeah. or maybe a leap in faith. That well, they only
0: have one Omega Frost set up in right. space, and they were going to set it. You know, since they set yeah. it up in space, they didn't set it up at Junction, or
3: right. Well, well, that the the that the Rebel fleet was the only target. I guess was was what I'm saying. That you know that he. I mean, because how would he know that? I mean, there, there, was, there was one Omega Frost thing on tattooing. Now there's another one here. I'm just wondering, you know, is, is it really, I mean, wouldn't it be best to make sure? Rather than just go, well, we must have been the intended target all along.
2: Yeah, you but know? it
0: wouldn't be very um, good for keeping the story moving along.
3: Yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. Yeah, It's About probably this. more of those things where 28 of the 30 pages they had to tell the story on were used. And then they're like, okay, we got two pages to wrap it up.
3: Right. I thought the uh, I thought and the they were like, was oh, you know, people too.
0: ask questions about this story, but they'll ask it 25, 30 years down the line when they're doing I'll some stupid dead. podcast about it. Yeah, I'll be dead <laughs> by that time. <laughs> oh, that's wrong. Nobody will be able to really call me on it, so. <sighs> that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's
3: what I'm here for. Well, is that all we got on this one, fellas?
0: Yeah, I think we're ready to move on to to the Darth Vader playing with his action figures issue.
2: Dude, I love this cover. I do too. Yes. I actually have a
3: note about that. You know what it reminds me of? It really reminds me of those old Justice League of America covers where Despro was playing chess with the with the Justice League figures or something like that.
0: I keep expecting to see a Darth Vader, like a pink Darth Vader with a little apron on, come up behind him and lift him out of his high chair and be like, "Come <laughs> on, it's time for your nap, you know.
2: <laughs> Put those down, it's time for your nap." Oh, oh mom. that's funny. Mom. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, can you imagine what the other side of this is? Which is actually Chewbacca's playing him on the Dedaric table, and the the toys the are behind him saying, "Let the Wookiee win." <laughs> no, the it's, like, it's, no,
3: it's that giant Cthulhu-looking squid from from those uh, Marvel UK that Marvel UK story that was so wacky by Alan Moore. Alan Moore did you ever read that? I did not. Oh, it's it's bizarre. It's so bizarre because it's basically the same squid that we would later see in in Watchmen and mm-hmm. Vader's playing like a like a chess game with it and it's really strange, very, very c- weird and creepy
2: kind of... I'll have to look it up.
3: Yeah, the, the there weren't very many stories that were unique to the Marvel UK imprint of Star Wars, but the ones that are out there, they're worth seeing. Just they're, to see
0: how the, bizarre the,
3: they are. Yeah, the British perspective on Star Wars is so entirely different from ours, you know? And I'm not saying one's necessarily better than the other because there's a lot of wacky stuff in these issues, too, you know, until they got more stuff to play with, you know, with with later movies and everything. There's there's some strange stuff in those. But, yeah, the, the British stuff just, you know, Takes to me cape. as an American, yeah, really just stands out as being that extra level of bizarre and strange. But
2: what the hell? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's get into the next one here. This let's is our final. In. This year. This is number 35 from May, or cover dated anyway, May 1980. So this would be right around the time that Empire was going to be coming out. Um, Cover is, again, by uh, Infantino and Bob Wyachek, and it's Darth Vader playing Star Wars chess with Luke Han, Leia, Chewie, the droids, and Baron Tag. It's a really cool cover. I, I, I really do like that one. It's very cool. Written by Archie Goodwin, art by Infantino, and Gene Day on the interior. Original cover price, $0.40. Story entitled Dark Lord's Gambit. And a scene totally reminiscent of his first reappearance way back in issue number 21. Remember, that was the one where we, when we reviewed it, Chris, we were going, wait a minute, I thought this was the issue where he found out about Luke. The two scenes no, are just so similar. so similar. Yeah. Darth Vader finally learns the name of the rebel pilot who destroyed the Death Star, Luke Skywalker, a name he has sought for many, many issues now. So armed with this information, Vader um, meets up with General Tag, the younger brother of the late Baron and learns of the Baron's com- conspiracy to wrest the Emperor's favor from Darth Vader and the circumstances that led up to the Baron's demise. Now, did we actually see that? We didn't see that in the last issue, right? That's all told in flashback. It's, yeah,
0: How it's kind
2: of implied. Yeah.
0: yeah. You see a ship getting blown up, but he and his brother, are, he's like, if you want to live, we got to do this. This is what our plan is. So they have an out. you know. If they want to bring right. the characters back, they could have gotten to a shuttle or something. They, one of them but you see the ship like blown up right after that.
3: All right. Well, Vader uh Vader even learns at this point that Luke Skywalker was involved in all this. And when he hears that, he gets really pissed off. And, you know, he's furious. Vader drops this bomb on General Tag. He takes him into a secret room on his ship and he reveals to to the general that the Baron and his brother Silas are actually still alive and Vader's keeping him in some sort of stasis. So the younger tag, you know, he actually turns out that he's pretty dismayed to learn all of this because the title of Baron has now passed to him when his other brothers were, were killed. And so any sort of, you know, quote unquote resurrection of these two would throw a monkey run- monkey wrench into his plans and he would lose the, the Baron title and all, you know, the perks that come with that. So, I thought that was really classic, you know, very slimy of this guy that he actually wants the title and the power and everything more than he wants his brothers, you know, brought back and restored to full health. So Vader secures a pledge of cooperation from general tag in order, uh, you know, in return for Vader, keeping his brothers on ice and also not tattletaling to the emperor about all the shenanigans that they've been up to and all these prior issues. So after tag leaves, Uh, Vader's toady Wormus asks Darth Vader you know why didn't he just take advantage of the situation and finally just crush these pain in the ass tag people once and for all and Vader gloats basically and says that you know they're going to serve him much better as his pawns so sometime later we see Luke Skywalker and he's back behind the controls of an X-Wing for the first time I believe since um, the adaptation of A New Hope by the way And he's leading a mission to eliminate some TIE fighters that are attacking a ship inbound for the fourth moon of Yavin. And so the TIEs are taken out, and the ship lands on the rebel base. Han assists a wounded Princess Leia, and I'll get back to that point in just a minute about the wounded Princess Leia. Um, He escorts her out to greet their new guests. And we are at this point introduced to Sister Domina. Of the order of the Sacred Circle, and she has come to invite a rebel representative to come to the planet Monastery for a conference on—yeah, I know—on whether or not the Sacred Sacred Circle should end their neutrality and side with either the Empire or the Rebel Alliance. So, Domina, um, she really seems to to take a liking to Luke right away, and she wants Luke to to be the representative, but he declines on the grounds that you know he's hardly any sort of diplomat. Um, but when Domina later reveals that the Empire's representative in this situation is none other than Darth Vader, then Luke you know, practically begs for this assignment. Um, Luke and R2-D2, they leave for monastery with Domina and her people, and General Dodonna uh, dispatches Leia, Han, Chewie, and C-3PO to secretly tail Luke in the Millennium Falcon. R2, it turns out, he's been fitted with uh, what is essentially a bug, you know, like a a spying device so that Leia and the others can listen in on all of Luke's activities. So they arrive on the planet monastery, Luke and and Domina and R2 and everybody, Um, and Luke finds himself in action right away when he is uh, forced to slay a night shrike, which is this giant bat-like creature that attacks Sister Domina. So she speculates on what made uh, a, you know, basically what's a creature of the night attack during the daytime when we see this off-panel voice suggests that maybe it's Luke's disruptive rebel uh, presence. And this is how Luke Skywalker finds himself face-to-face with the man that killed his father and destroyed Ben Kenobi. Remember, this is pre-Empire Darth Vader. Luke... You know, he gets enraged, and he seems like he's about to set upon Darth Vader when R2 basically slams into him and reminds him of the nature of their mission. So Luke promises Vader that they will meet again, and they're going to settle
2: up. What's that? Sorry, you said we'll meet again, and I just felt that oh. he was like, oh. I'm sorry, I messed you up. Go ahead, sorry. No, Not no,
3: it's that. fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, you're okay. <laughs> and so, th- 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 you know, that they'll settle up about all this stuff later. And Vader is, you know, completely unimpressed with Luke's bluster and everything. So, in fact, he actually, you know, Darth Vader actually boasts to Domino that the Alliance's choice of representative is just going to make his presentation to the Sacred Circle's leaders look that much better. So, totally disheartened. Luke, you know, he feels like he's just way out of his depth and everything. He wonders why he's even on this mission. And then he gets a kiss from uh, from Domina, which just, you know, then he's all aglow. So back at his, his guest quarters on the planet, Luke is thinking out loud about Domina and his on-again, off-again relationship with Princess Leia and about her possible feelings for Han Solo and all this stuff. With, and R2's right there the whole time. Well, Luke doesn't realize that R2 has been fitted out the way he has. So back on the Millennium Falcon in in space somewhere, Leia and Han and everybody are actually listening in all the, on all this without Luke's knowledge, which I actually found to be really kind of rude and creepy. And Leia is of course really embarrassed by all this, and she orders the link terminated. So finally, in the in the last part of the issue, in this tower room somewhere on the planet, Sister Domina. And Darth Vader are revealed to be conspiring together. And Domina, as it turns out, is a tag. And she blames Luke Skywalker for the death of her brother, the Baron. In the final panel, Vader messages his toady Wormus and tells that all the players are in position and let the games truly begin.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there we go. That's I just have bit. to say, what is up with. 3PO's nipples when they're listening in on Luke. Oh, I know! He's getting his, like, nipples twiddled with or something. You know, that's that's 2s job is to get plugged in there, you know. Uh, oh, I mean, I've no. never seen 3PO getting an old... Yeah, it's creepy looking.
3: Oh, you're wrong. You're so wrong. Now, what, no, I thought you're was, right, though.
2: what I thought was funny was that as much as, as Scott has made this sound like an interesting issue, it dragged for me. Was, oh. it, um, I know it's, like, one of your favorite issues, uh, but it dragged so much for me. I was reading it, and I was like, get to the point. Get to the point.
3: You know why? I'm I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest, because this will reveal, I guess, a, a certain shallowness on on my part. But you know why I like this there's issue? There's a so redhead that's... in it. Oh. No, 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 no. no. Well, but there's that. Yeah, I always thought Sister Domino was kind of hot
2: as yeah, John She was Michael hot. Too. She was hot.
3: But Luke is wearing that styling jacket from the from the throne ceremony or whatever, oh, yeah. the awards ceremony at the end of A New Hope. I always wanted one of those jackets. Oh, I, think I
0: remember just, that.
3: Yeah, he looks cool. He finally changed his goddamn clothes. And I just love that. He looks really sharp in that outfit, you know, and he's got the pants and boots kind of like Han So he he just... He looks cooler. He looks more dynamic and everything. Well, this
0: issue, it's back to the amazing growing hair of Luke Skywalker, too. If you look on page 26 and 27, 27, he's got short hair. 26, it's just flying behind him in the wind.
1: (laughs) You're
2: right. It's like
0: he grows his hair whenever Darth Vader's around or something.
2: Well, another thing I thought was hysterical about the art in this one is that it was pretty consistent overall. But I loved... I don't know why they did it this way, but they made... Darth Vader look like something out of Super Mario Brothers and like a slash between like the hamburger so like if you go to a good example of this is like page 11 it's like in the middle of the page and you look at him and Vader I swear to god is smiling <laughs> yes <laughs> look at it and it's not like a, a subtle smile it's like this large I need a cheeseburger Ronald Ronald smile that you would <laughs> just imagine it with like a hamburger going rabble rabble <laughs>
3: I, I well, his, the guy behind him totally looks like Steve Austin. I didn't even realize it until yeah. now, either.
2: <laughs> I just <laughs> see that, man. And the whole issue, it's like Vader's face just kind of changes back and forth. And I realized that getting the proportions right, especially this early on, it's not he had not become this visual icon, that icon people, yeah. Uh, yeah, from memory. But I, it's hysterical to watch them try to get this face down. It goes from being too fat to being too thin yeah. to being tall. And then every once in a while he has this weird freaking smile on his face and just
3: cracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, God. I like it's the Pat the Vader. cute fat chubby tie fighter right across from Vader on that on that on page ten right there. The one that's at the extreme right. It's like way too fat and it's got oh, these tiny little wings. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's like for the oversized. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> they just bolt the panels right to the ball they don't even give it the extensions at all they just bolt yeah. it right in oh man that was great oh now, and something r- else that i noticed that I, I thought i'd bring up in case uh, unless somebody else thought, saw this too is the fact that vader refers to luke being in a t65 destroying the death star did anybody else catch that yes now I thought the X-wing was considered the X-wing model. Is that the actual uh, serial code of it? Is it actually a T-65? A T-65 X-wing. Uh,
3: it, I've seen it other places. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm assuming that. You see, it could
0: have been. It could have been. He could have gotten I that P65 from
3: a Headhunters
0: so he That could, looked
2: like X-Wings But they didn't have the S-Foils That allowed them to make oh, the X See you but
0: he could have gotten that From a piece of press material That Lucasfilm put out Before the movie came in Where they just put yeah. numbers And letters in front of stuff And you know and And that was what he was Was working from you know
2: Right, but well, that was just something I noticed, and I was like, I, 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 I didn't know if anybody else had noticed that, like, oh, that's a screw-up, or if I had not, it just never picked up on the fact that that was actually the serial code of the uh, uh, Model X-Wing itself, so I, I was going to throw that out there and see if anybody else had a, had a response, maybe a little bit of information on that.
0: No, what I wonder, it's it, one of those things that I wondered that never came up out of, like, early Luke, like, from the novel and stuff. Was remember how the novel started out and it had sort of these quotes and it was from like the the Journal of the Wills. Yes. H I L L S. I
2: I always yes. wondered
0: why the comic never had something about the Wills in it. You know, to I you know it just seemed like a juicy piece of information that a writer could have run with. And you would have think thought you would have thunk that they would have read the novel. It would have been one of the few things that they had. Right. To refer refer from.
3: Maybe
2: Lucas said, "Don't ever use the Wills," because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I've always kind of been under the mindset that the Wills are actually Yoda's race, and he's the last one. Ah. That's how I've always kind of interpreted that: is that Yoda actually comes from the Wills? Now, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true or not, but
3: yeah, that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad theory at all, actually. Because he I've never always...
2: talks...
3: I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I've always wondered what exactly the you know the Journal of the Wills was supposed to be. I almost, I always kind of imagined it was like a forerunner of the uh, uh, the Jedi holocrons, but that, you know again, that's just you know a, a, an impression kind of thing. I always right. got
0: the uh, impression that it was George Lucas just coming up with some <laughs> some little bibbly babble to to add on to his quote.
2: Yeah, Bro, well, that
0: was
2: I mean, actually I just, Alan Dean Foster there. too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah true. kind of threw in there. But I think that it's interesting that y- that he never talks about Yoda's species. Like he makes it a taboo subject. He's Like you don't talk about Yoda, and the only reason you see Yaddle is because she sn- she's stuck in there. You know, you're never going to see another one. And um, he refuses to talk about the Wills. So in my brain, I immediately put those two things together, as maybe they're you know not separate. Maybe they're actually the same thing. So I don't know. That's just my two cents on the whole Wills situation.
3: Now, Princess Leia's leg injury. Uh, I did a little bit of research on this, and once I saw this, it it jogged a memory with me because I just read this not long ago. Her leg injury was actually sustained in the Marvel UK Star Wars comic. By this point, it was actually called The Empire Strikes Back Monthly. It was number – it was issue number 154. Um listeners to the Star War, our Star Wars Monthly Monday episodes may remember I talked a little bit uh, a couple episodes back about uh, the Dark Horse comics. Um, there was a two-issue series called Classic Star Wars Devil Worlds that reprinted, I think, all but one issue of the stuff that was exclusive to the Marvel UK Star Wars title. Anyway, in issue two of Devil Worlds, the reprint, um, it has the story where this injury occurs. I would recommend if you can get a hold of it, read it because it's one goofy ass story, but it's a lot of fun because it is so un Star Warsy. It's basically where Leia's on this planet for something or other. I can't remember what, and this like godlike being pops in out of nowhere, is mystified by our universe and how it works and has all these, like, godlike powers and starts toying with Leia and stormtroopers and stuff, and it was really, really bizarre. But, yeah, once I saw this information, then it j- did jog a memory that Leia did actually get hurt in that, but I just think it's really neat that they were able to tie in something that happened in the UK yeah. comic series t- into this. That's that's kind of weird. I wonder if maybe they intended to uh, to Integrate that, or re, you know, print that over in this title, and just never got around to it. Maybe it was going to wind up in an annual or something like that. That that just never happened. But, but you they, know, all it. I'm sorry.
0: When they have that shot of her there with her leg injured, uh-huh. look how scrawny she is. He just all of a sudden drew. her. She's got chicken legs, and like her midriff is like Barbie doll style. Yeah. And he doesn't draw her like he usually draws her. Almost kind of action figurey. Yeah, and in these two frames she's just scrawny even her her calves are like it's weird it's like she's been starved or something
3: well they're under a blockade so maybe they're running out of food maybe or something Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Well, one thing I it? thought was interesting was you were saying the uh, whole idea about how you know they, they talked about that last mission and I love that they were actually ballsy enough to say we've yet to tell you this story like yes. you know we're going to keep buying our book so we're not going to tell you some awesome shit that happened to her yet um, which is right. kind of a pimp move. I thought that was really interesting considering the fact that you never know, like, does the Star Wars franchise run out of steam the next month or not? Or do you keep pushing it? You know, so that's kind of it. I always liked it when they kind of had the audacity to say, we know you are going to keep buying our book. And we're going to say, hey, keep <laughs> you have something that happens here. Yeah, And uh, that, that was kind of cool.
3: Now, the, the last point I've got for this one, and, and to me this is kind of a whopper, is this idea of neutral ground keeps coming up in the star Wars series. It will come up again, at least one more time post the empire strikes back. There's, there's an issue where Leia goes on a mission and again, Darth Vader is involved. And all I can remember is it had something to do with banking or trying to secure funds from this neutral planet or some shit like that. And I just wonder You know, this was at a time when we didn't have the prequel trilogy to look at. Because if you look at the prequel trilogy now, I think you can actually explain away a lot of this stuff. But but not taking the prequel trilogy into any sort of account during this, even as a kid, the idea that there were planets that were not subject to Imperial law kind of bugged me. And I wonder how you guys feel about that.
0: Well, it was always sort of known that, like, tattooing was a bit, you know, the further away you were from the center... The less control there was The further you got from Coruscant The less control there was by the Empire But the uh, Empire uh, It seemed was looking to control whatever it could
2: Right But it's only so big Right I know that when I was a kid When I looked at the uh, uh, idea of how the Empire worked Is that obviously they controlled the core They controlled the inner rim And they had some people in the outer rim But those were always the uh, worlds that they were in contention for. It was like they were trying to conquer them or at least bring them into the fold of the Empire, but they never really could. So I always kind of assumed as a kid when I first saw Star Wars that these were worlds that the Empire had just never really been able to establish a uh, stranglehold presence. They were there, but they were more there like travelers or, or more there like as almost mercenaries, really. You know, they're kind of showing up looking for people for their stuff, but not necessarily the controlling party.
3: Right.
0: Well, the, the Empire also, it, it just can't be omnipotent. You know, there's well, there's isn't... only so many resources to spread around. And, and there's right. going to be some places where the rebels are going to contest a planet. There's some places where the planet will say, okay, we'll side with you because we either agree with you or we don't want to get into a fight with you. Or there, And there's other planets where it's going to be a a battle to take over it. So there's probably some diplomacy going on and stuff and right. the Empire's probably thinking, ah, it might be easier sometimes to win the favor of a planet through diplomacy. But it also shows that Darth Vader at the you know, the last frame we find out Darth Vader's totally defeating the whole you know, he's about to break any kind of neutral ground. rules that there are so that that sort of goes along with what you were saying is could neutral ground even exist and it looks like it can't in this case it looks like it's not going to
2: right well i think it probably could but i I think one of the biggest problems that they would have is the fact that they have no way of dealing with people who decided not to side with them so like you were saying you know there might be a planet that has neutral ground they can start screwing with them i think that was half the reason they built the death star well, so like if a planet said, "Yeah, we're not going to side with you," that's gonna okay. Bye, boom. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they
0: could park the Death Star uh-huh, right. Yeah, well, they would probably, yeah, you could just park the Death Star next door, and they'll say, "Oh, oh okay, okay, sorry." Yeah, yeah bye, we man, saw the sorry. new moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're good.
2: <laughs> we turn around. Yes, Empire, good. Yes, we will take on it. No credits, no problem. You need us to wear black underwear? Black underwear, we got it. Yeah,
0: got it. We're making it right now.
3: That's a good point because now that I think about it, I don't—I never really had the impression that Alderaan, right up into the time it was destroyed, was necessarily under the thrall of the Empire. That—that that they were having to contend with all the the, the right. goings-on of the Emperor and the Empire, but they weren't necessarily conquered for, la, you know, right. for lack of a better term. So right. yeah, that—that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but. Well, the, the reason I made the distinction about the prequel trilogy is that now with the treacle, uh, yeah the trequel the, the prequel trilogy behind us now it doesn't bother me quite as much because I like the idea that you know it's only 19 to 20 years between you know episode three and episode four and I like the idea that one of the reasons that I can kind of buy into the idea a little bit better of the of the Empire being, pretty much fully defeated in Return of the Jedi, is that it was still in its infancy in a lot of ways. That the bulk of the fleet really was all present at the Battle of Endor and stuff like that. Whereas, even as a kid, as much as I loved those movies, I never quite bought that. See, I had the feeling as a kid that that this was all a long established thing that the empire had been around a long time and that right. it, it had its fingers into every pie in the galaxy and all that and and that you were you know the, these characters were living in a fully conquered galaxy that the empire totally controlled with an iron fist i actually really liked the concept now seeing it with all six movies that no it's not really that way at all that the really in a lot of ways the emperor was just starting to cement his control yeah he only when the had rebellion a started their shit yeah. yeah yeah i like that idea i think it really plays a lot better that way and it really helps make a lot more sense of issues like this you know where there are planets that you know the the empire has to romance basically to to get them to you know they can't just Storm in and conquer them, they've got to say, you know, hey, you know, will you come play ball with us? You know, I I like that. That, That's actually an interesting concept.
2: And, you know, and in most kind of societies like that, any kind of empire or or any kind of government body will always try to schmooze somebody into uh, agreeing with them before using brute force. I mean, the Nazis did all the time. They would say, oh, we promised you this, this, and this, and if you just go along and give us all the Jews, we'll be happy. You know, the Empire does the same thing. Okay, if you do this, this, and this, and if any rebels show up, especially this asshole and they lose Skywalker, you turn them over to us. And you try right. a blind eye to it, and then you're inside of the Empire, and they more or less leave you autonomous as long as you pay taxes and don't try to start any problems. And then, of course, you realize you're kind of in one of those devil packs, and as it goes on and on, they start requiring more and more from you, and you're getting less and less out of the deal. Right, absolutely. Well, but, uh, are
3: we ready? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just saying, but, you know, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting uh, idea as far as that goes. I just thought that the comic took so long to get there. I wish they would have shrunk that narrative part up and then really started showing the awesomeness that was Vader's plan in the next issue. So,
3: Yeah, the, the, it was a lot of setup. Hey, but man, they got to
0: get that 40 cents for the next issue. <laughs> <laughs>
3: 40, yeah, 40 cents, my God. <laughs>
0: Hey, what do you want for 40 cents? A rubber biscuit?
3: (laughs) Well, with that, I think we need to to wrap this one up. Um, I wanted to talk very briefly. You know, this this is uh, when this episode goes up. You know, this will be December, and uh, we're creeping towards Christmas. I actually got an advanced Christmas present the other day, and it was totally the shit. Now, I had just sent Chris... Um, what, like a week or so ago, right, Chris? Yeah, I I had scored an issue of uh, Marvel Star Wars at a local flea market for a buck, and it was uh, Star Wars number ninety six, which I own already, and I was pretty sure that Chris didn't have a copy. It's one of my favorite issues, and it's way down the line, so. You know, I'll just talk, talk a little bit about it. What the, the deal with that issue, what, the reason I really like that is, is a major storyline came to a head with, a, with one of my favorite characters from Marvel Comics Star Wars. So anyway, I sent Chris a copy of this. Well, I was out yesterday doing some Christmas shopping, and, you know, me and my wife, we were shopping for the kids and all, and we happened to stop into Target. And you know those those two-packs that are coming out now that are that are coming – you know, they come with a comic – and it's two action figures based on comics like from Marvel Comics, Star Wars, or some of the right. Star Wars stuff or whatever. Some of them have been really cool. Like there was the one that had Fen Shaisa in it, and there was one that had Toby Dalla and all these different comic book characters. And yesterday I spotted a brand new one that was out, and it is so awesome. The comic reprinted in it is Star Wars number 96, and the two figures are Lumaya with her light whip and an alternate head, and then Luke in that sleeveless, like it looks like his Bespin fatigues, except it's sleeveless, and he's got the two lightsabers because he, he actually forges a second lightsaber in that issue specifically to battle Lumaya and her light whip. And I saw that and absolutely flipped the hell out. I cannot believe that they actually made a Lumaya action figure and uh and I I I was like a little kid so bad that my wife just went ahead and bought it for me and she's like now I'm gonna put this up until Christmas you know treat me like I'm like five years old it was really it was really pretty funny but uh so now I know I'm getting that for Christmas I was so excited I was such a little kid about it because that is totally awesome that they that they made that figure you know both of them really you know the Luke with the two lightsabers but the you know, a Lumaya figure. How awesome is that that they made? I just thought that was really, really cool. So I wanted to share that with folks. That uh, you know, there's, yeah, well, you well, not, not just gloat, but just try to be, you know, try to be informative, oh, well, let people sure. know because I, I sure. had no idea until I saw it in the store. I thought that was really cool. And there's some other ones out there. There's there's one that's got uh Biggs and somebody else. There's another one from Star Wars. I think it's Rebellion. That's Luke and that blonde girl that, I can't remember if he gets together with her or not, but it's it, that rebel, op, damn, I can't think of what her name is but there's several oh, new packs the West, the, the, doesn't that? she die? doesn't she die?
2: oh does she? I think I she does know, it's one of that. the rebellion issues, I think she uh, she thought she was a coward and she was yeah. on commission and I think she gets blown up, I think she actually has to sacrifice herself to die, or to, 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 to save everybody else
3: yeah, that's the girl, though, yeah. I can't remember yeah. what her name. Is. Yeah, that's I the don't remember her name either. Like Dina or something like that? Let's go yeah. with that. But, yeah, there's several new uh, several new sets out there, but I thought that was totally cool. So. How
0: about that? Merry Christmas.
1: Merry, Merry Christmas. How Christmas? With Glee. Here's a little toy. Any girl or boy certainly would love to see. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. To who? Take a guess. Yes, yes. Merry Christmas to you. Here is a baseball that throws itself. If you've been good this year, it may appear on your toy shelf. Do we have the data on what to get the Wookiee this year? He already has a
3: code, you know.
1: Yes, we have finally computed the perfect gift. Here it is, a brush.
3: Perfect. Merry Christmas to you. Here's a toy robot that goes to sleep. Can
0: you believe the way
1: he
3: does It's my I- smelling feet. One sniff, two sniff, three sniff. <coughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libsyn.com. Where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. 2TrueFreaks.Libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Lipson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The two true freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is one cop lure that's one 267 5873
0: You can email 2 true freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com.
3: If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? 2 True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit ComicBookNoise.com slash League.
0: We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and
2: U. Okay. Zing. That should be the beginning of the actual segment. (laughs) Wing!
0: (laughs) The winding path to peace is always worthy.
1: Oh, shit. The wind. (laughs) (laughs) You should just leave that in.